Rogan experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan podcast by night, all day. Hey. One of the cool things about the internet um, has been getting to uh, find out all, all these other people that share uh, these interests and, and really kind of what some people would think would be obscure things. And one of them is talks about psychedelics, you know, the, the Terrence McKenna talks, the Timothy Leary talks. It's so rare to find a place where you can find a lot of those. And in the case of your podcast, The Psychedelic Salon, it's the best one I've ever found. And when I found it, I was so happy. I was like, this guy's got everything. You have like every McKenna recording like ever. You have all these Timothy Leary recordings and Alan Watts. I mean, who, I mean, who don't you have? Anybody essentially who's ever said anything weird about drugs. Well, I don't have Joe Rogan yet. Yet, so you don't <laughs> I, I don't really you know I've had podcasts I don't really I, I could go on and we could talk about them well see fun. you started a podcast intentionally and mine was just accidental uh, no that was it that's a, the misconception we did, didn't start oh, really? this intentionally at all oh I didn't know that no we just turned on a webcam once we were doing a, like a uStream broadcast just screwing around just for a goof yeah. well we started the same way then <laughs> how did you get yours on I, I I'm kind of a geeky guy and I was looking at tech and uh we were actually up at uh, a Mind States conference, and uh, I'd already uh, produced this uh, Planque Norte talks at Burning Man, and I uh, had them up on the web in little 10-minute increments to keep the file size down. And we're up at this uh, Mind States conference, and a guy comes up to me and says, hey, I'm going to start a podcast. Can I use all that stuff you have? And I said, sure, go ahead. I said, I thought about it too, but I don't have an iPod, so I didn't think so. And he said, you don't need one. You can do it in your computer. So... I waited a couple months, and he never started his podcast, and so I got a hold of him. I said, are you still going to do that? And he said, no. And I said, well, if you don't mind, I'm going to use them. And he said, well, they're yours. So uh, I made a po- I did a podcast of a talk I gave first, and then I, I did one that a friend of mine made of uh, Terrence, the last one actually he gave in Palenque, or next to last. And then uh, uh, I did those two, and I was trying to figure out how the tech worked. And uh, I, I, so then I put up my stuff from Palenque Norte, and... Uh, you know, I was still just playing around with it, and I, I kind of looked, and there's 10 people and maybe 20 and 30 who was, you know, downloading it, probably my friends. And uh, all of a sudden, I, I get contacted by this guy, KMO, and I'd been up to maybe 100 you know, downloads, and he said, hey, I love your podcast, and you know, these guys over in England doing the Dope Fiend uh, is doing something, and he likes it, and... Uh, so I started kind of hooking up. What's doing the Dope Fiend? Oh, you don't know about the Dope Fiend? No, what is, what is that? It's a great podcast. Uh, it's on the Cannabis Podcast Network. Potheads <laughs> <laughs> are so hilarious. You, you can find it at dope, dopefiend.co.uk, and uh, they're a great podcast. He's, he's got a whole series of podcasts there. The, the Cannabis Network. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he he has some good music shows. In fact, uh, uh, I I, uh, I first found you uh, during my uh, stoner uh, bachelor days on news radios where I first saw oh, you. Oh wow! And uh, then I was listening to uh, Lefty's Lounge, uh, who's one of the uh, podcasts on the Dope Fiend uh, Network, and uh, he plays uh, music and comedy. And all of a sudden, there's some cuts from you, and and uh, he says, "Yeah, Joe's got this podcast now." And so that's how I found your podcast was through theirs. Oh, that's so cool. 
I don't. I'm, I'm not even sure how I found out about yours. It was so, it was probably Twitter. Someone suggesting it online, or maybe my message board. It could have been. I don't really remember who who turned me on to it. But it was more than one person, mm-hmm. and I think it was probably because like I would occasionally um, post like a clip that someone uh, you know like on YouTube mm-hmm. for like a McKenna lecture or something like that, or one of those really cool videos that some people have done. That's the, the one of the more amazing things about the internet is all these user created videos yeah. like i just posted one today that someone made i have no idea who did it and they did it with uh things that i said on a podcast and it's it's fantastic oh, yeah. they did a fantastic job it's um it's a weird thing where you can you, you know you can uh, a thing that you put out all of a sudden it gets caught on by these other people and then they add all these things to it <laughs> music and visuals right. and it becomes even bigger like some of these McKenna ones were a him giving a lecture, but they've put them to visuals and uh, sounds, and and they're just amazing, and they're super inspirational. Oh, yeah. I, every week I get uh, links to some graphic artist that's <laughs> done something. Hey, I used the clip from your podcast, and, and it's just wonderful to see oh, it because so cool. I think the visuals really enhance what Terrence has to say or anybody yeah. has to say, you know. And, you know, I know you've had a lot of people spin off podcasts after listening to you, and a few have done that with me, and some of them hadn't stuck around around but like these two guys uh, started a podcast called black light in the attic and <laughs> it was really cool out of chicago That's a great name. but what they did is they did a 12-part uh youtube video series on how to use audacity and it's still the best thing out there so what's audacity audacity is a free uh, open source uh, uh sound so- hardware uh software it's a audio uh, oh. multi-track uh, you can do lots and lots of stuff with it but, really but it's free open source it's probably uh, more used in podcasts than anything wow and but no they did kidding. a 12-part youtube thing you know and it's a, in every once in a while i want to learn something new in audacity i go to one of those kids podcasts oh that's so cool so you must do everything yourself then you uh, must uh, you edit everything you put all the clips together yeah, the the procedure uh, is I I, uh, I listen to a talk first, and a lot of them, you know, there's uh, questions you can't hear, so you have to cut those out, and you got to boost and adjust the sound. So I get the sound as best I can, mm-hmm. and I'm taking notes at the same time because I put program notes and little short quotes and all because Google and DuckDuckGo and those uh, other search engines don't search the audio. Uh-huh. And so I've made, uh, you know, I try to get like 15, 20 quotes of Terrence in each one of his lectures so that they're, they, they're searchable. Mm-hmm. But then uh, once I have that done, then I write a script where I introduce it and then I close out. And I, I write the script out and rehearse it and then I read it. Wow. <laughs> so and then, then, of course, you know, you've got to cut the pieces together and add the music and, and then uh, turn it to MP3 file and put on the RSS feed and put it out there. So, yeah, I do the whole thing. Well, I respect that so much. Because I, our, this podcast is so easy. We don't ever edit it. We go live. We just let it roll. It, let's go. Once it's gone, it's gone. I if know. we fuck up, we fuck up. You know, it's 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 got every bump possible. It's all happening live. But that's that's the magic of your podcast because. I ha- I, I've listened to quite a few of your podcasts. I, I listen to the comedians, and my wife listens to your serious <laughs> interviews. But uh, every one of your podcasts, I've wanted to jump in and talk. And, <laughs> and I've talked to a lot of my friends that listen to it, too. And they say, yeah, man, he's, he's just like one of us, and I want to talk with him. And I think that's the, the real genius of this podcast. It's just two guys or three or four or whatever sitting around talking. Um, isn't it hilarious? What, what kind of a society have we become where just a regular conversation is novel? <laughs> regular conversations like what the fuck are they doing what are they just talking well you know years ago when i was living in tampa we on a saturday night there's a guy named carol sudler who did a uh 
I can't. Chatterbox Cafe. And we go down from, from uh, 10 till 2. And uh, what the, th- the thing was, it was about 12 of us sit around a table like this, and we all drink and, and just talk. And uh, they could have call-ins, too. And so people could essentially go to a bar without leaving their house, and you wouldn't have to drive drunk. And so the sound effects were like a bar and all, and we'd all assume characters and sit around and talk. And it was a hugely popular show. Wow. That's interesting. It's interesting, the, the idea of audio theater, which is basically what podcasts are, is a completely new thing, to me at least. I mean, it kind of existed before because when I was a child, I'd listen to like uh, audio recordings on, on a record, on a large vinyl. You know, like, uh, of course, I would listen to stand-up comedians and Cheech and Chong and things along those lines. And you just sit around and listen. But the beautiful thing about podcasts is most of the time when people are tuning into this, enjoying this, they're doing something else. Like you're at the gym or you're driving your car or you're commuting to work or commuting to school or what have you. Like you're doing something else. Exactly. And and it's like the old radio. See, I grew up in radio. We didn't have a TV until I was in like sixth or seventh grade. Right. And so when I'd come home from school at, in the afternoon, my brother and I looked through the radio listings, just like wow. TV Guide. And, you know, it was Fibber McGee and Molly and yeah. The Shadow. And, <laughs> and my dad and I on Sunday afternoon down in the basement would listen to all these great shows. We had an episode of uh, News Radio where Andy Dick became obsessed with Fibber McGee and Molly. I remember that he was one, yeah. listening to all the recordings and laughing and, like, walking into walls and stuff because he was laughing so hard. And that was the first time I'd ever heard of them. I'm, I, I can tell you where they live, 79 Wistful Vista Drive. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I listened to all the Fibber, McGee, and Molly. That's so, you know, it's such an interesting time in our in our society when the families used to sit around the radio and listen to, like, Orson Welles and those kind of things. And, yeah. yeah, that's all we had, you know, that, uh, you know, I, I'm 71 now, so I can go back a little ways, but... Uh, uh, I don't feel like things have changed that much because podcasts have sort of turned into the old radio. And, and people walk around, like you say, it's a little different. You're not sitting at home, you know, looking at a radio. Well, in my case, it's far less professional. You know, I'm not, it's very unprofessional podcasts. Just, well, <laughs> you know, I don't listen to any professional out. podcasts. I don't know if there is such a thing, is there? Well, I well, guess, yeah, yeah, there are, sure, actually, yeah. yeah. Nash, I, I used to listen to uh, Scientific American. They, they had yeah. a good 20-minute one that was uh, good, but I kind of fell away from that. So. Uh, I, a nurse at this hospital that I was going to to get this uh, procedure done w- recommended um, Radio Lab, And the first one that I tuned into was this one about these Kenyan runners from this very mm. specific village and she was just going on in depth about it and then like to hear her describe this intense uh, thing and then to actually listen to the show like radio labs really good they have like sound effects that mm. they play while they're giving their, their their talk on things they bring in people to have interviews and they sort of interject in the interview like they'll the guy will be talking and they'll explain like why this is so significant like they'll and then they'll let the guy talk more it's it's really interesting like the guy talks but instead of interrupting him as he's talking they just sort of edit things Mm. in after the fact so they're having an interview with a guy and they not just interview him but also interject in the middle of what he's doing various facts and information that actually enhance the story and make it richer really well done and it was all about this one tribe of runners it's just like unbelievably awesome and it comes to this rite of passage ritual that they do with circumcision and oh, i heard you talking about through. that with graham Ooh. is that, that the same tribe yes. yeah oh, wow. awful terrible stuff but they became like super immune to the response of pain or or to responding to pain or super you know determined or super whatever it is they their level of is either their level of pain tolerance or 
their ability to suppress it, whatever the hell it is. It's but they different. must be converting that pain to new kinds of energy of some kind, you know, to, for their long distance running. Or well, their, uh... I think that, and I think it's also super critical in their society that you get through this ritual. Mm-hmm. And if you don't get through this ritual, you're not thought of as a man. Yeah, we all have our rituals, and they're they're a lot less painful in most <laughs> places, you know. Yeah, that one sounds insane. Oh. What's really insane uh, was that this guy was talking about um, his sons and that he didn't want his sons to go through what he had to go through. And he thought, personally, as a person who did it, that there was other ways to build character. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, it is. It's a uh, it's a step uh, in what we would call more civilized behavior. But you know, yeah. we'll have to you know it'll take generations to see what happens there. Well, it's also love. You know, when there's, there's like if you love your children, you don't want them to go through oh. the same kind of shit that you went through. You know, if you wanted to make an interesting person, what do you do? You give them bad parenting and drop them off in a shitty neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I want for my kids. No, I don't want my kids. I didn't want my kids does. to grow up like I did. And we, I had a wonderful childhood, but it, you know, it wasn't perfect. I think I think what we're working on now as a society, whether it's on purpose or not, by by you putting out those kind of podcasts, by me trying to have as many podcasts as I can, what we're all working on, I think, is uh, we're all looking at this world that we're living in and going, do we have to do things this way? Is this this is this really necessary? Right. And the more that word gets out, it's not a violent word. It's not. It's just a realistic word. It's a, it's, we're, we're all just going, come on. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you, you know, we're, we're not trying to run the world. I don't want to hog up oil, all the oil. I want to steal anybody's natural gas. But I also don't want to watch you do it. Right. I, I don't want to watch this crazy world we're living in where it's really obvious that what things that are being done are not fair. It's really, I don't think that you can have a society the way our society is, where it's so big and so disconnected, and not have people that are acting in their own self-interest. But I don't think that that's the only way it can be done. I think once we become more and more connected, and I think podcasts are a big part of that, psychedelics are a big part of that, the internet itself, which is kind of psychedelic, is a big part of that. As those things bring people closer and closer together, I just think less of that kind of behavior is necessary. Less of it is justified. Less of it is unexplained. It's kind of it's kind of all out there now. We understand people way better than we ever did. Well, well we're realizing that we're all alike. Yes. And when you get down to the operate, you know, below the operating system to the machine yes. code. Get, one of my very closest friends in the world is Vietnamese. He was an uh, eight-year-old orphan at the time I was over there. I didn't know him then, but we've become really close over the years. And uh, once we got through all the culture and the politics and the religion, and we're just talking about people stuff, you know, uh-huh. and his problems with his wife were the same as I was having with my girlfriend at the time. And, and on a human level, we realized how just identical we are. And yeah. no matter where you go in the world, you know, people are, are the same, except they get the overlays of culture and religion and family and all that stuff. But if you can, you know, break through those barriers, and that's where psychedelics, I think, are very mm-hmm. helpful, you'll find out that we're all, all alike and, and we can figure out how to get along here. We're d- both different and alike, but our differences are external. The, 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 the actual human being, like what, is, what does a person want out of this life? You right. know, what is, we want happiness. Right. I, I, I wouldn't want to get rid of any culture. I think they're, they're what add all the spice and the flavor to the world. We want to see the cultures, but uh, I think we, we need to quit fighting. You know, yeah. we, we never have quit fighting. Well, there's also an issue that a lot of cultures evolve around these ideas that are outdated, antiquated, crazy, in fact. Like there's a lot of religious cultures that are, it's like 
there's yeah, it's a beautiful culture. It's really interesting. Their artwork's fantastic. They're, the way they dress is really fascinating. But Jesus Christ, look how oppressive they are to each other. Oh. Look how they treat women. Look at Saudi Arabia in 2013. Women have to protest for their right to drive right. a car. Like, holy shit. And, and look at the way they have to dress in that heat. Yeah, and they get the black clothes, not the white ones. It's in, completely insane. It's it's old as fuck. It's ridiculous. It was from a time when people didn't know any better. Right. The idea that your God wants you to do that is beyond ridiculous. Oh. You know, it's, it's, religion is, you know, it's basically superstition when you come down to it. A huge part of it. And I get the idea that I get that people need a higher power or believe in a higher power, 100%. But if you can't see that there's the hand of man and something that tells you that you should stone homosexuals to death, <laughs> you can't see the hand of man in that. You really think that that's the way a god would handle it? Right. Why would a god invent homosexuals in the first place? And if you don't <laughs> think that they're doing that because they're born that way, look, there, I'm sure, have been men who are heterosexual who are like, let's see what this fuss is all about, and went over and did some gay shit. Why not? I'm sure. It's, it happened. It's nothing, nothing wrong with that. But the reality of being gay, if you've ever met anybody who's gay, is that most people who are gay always knew it from the time they were born. Now, why would your God create that? Why would your God create someone who is born in a way that makes them, just by nature of existing, you could, you're allowed to stone them to death? You should stone right. them to death. Well, you know, my youngest son is gay. And uh, when he finally came out, I said, well, you know, I've been talking to your sister about this for 10 years. And he said, <laughs> he said, well, I knew I was gay that long, too. He said, I just had to get the courage to come out. And wow. uh, just last January, uh, he got married in Washington, D.C., and it was, uh, he, he was uh, kind of a big deal at the Kennedy Center, and so it was a big society wedding. And uh, it was an amazing social event with hundreds of people there and, you know, people from the State Department and everywhere. And, wow. And uh, you, could, you could tell the, the tables that were the old, established, straight people who came just to be polite at first, but it turned into such a wonderful party. You know, we had, they had uh, the wedding and then a dinner and then the reception all in the same place. And... Everybody stayed until the thing closed down. They were having mainly the old people were watching the young people dance because, uh, well, my my uh, my son's husband is a, a principal dancer at the uh, Susan Farrell Ballet. Uh, Wait a minute, a gay ballet dancer? This story just doesn't make any sense. You don't think there be? No, well, there's one or two. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it funny that there's certain like uh, like if you hear guys an interior decorator? Yeah. <laughs> Bam. Right. I mean, how many straight dudes? I'm sure there are some, and they get mad at me saying this right now, but I don't. Know why it is, but there's something about there's certain professions, and and uh, you know what you you really you know they don't look gay or act gay, but boy is he a hell of a dancer when you're. <laughs> He's a yeah. good dancer. Well, you know that's always been the rumor about John Travolta. He's probably not even gay. It's probably people are He's still upset about Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> It was too good. Yeah. <laughs> it was too good. It, was, it changed the way uh, people decided to mate. But you know, if you, mating dances. If you want to go to a fun wedding, just go to a, a, a same-sex marriage because it's, it's new for them. It's something right. you know they're really celebrating something uh, right. for the first time. It's a very joyous occasion. Right. They don't feel pressured into it. No. Like you guys have been together for five years <laughs> and he hasn't gotten you a ring. This is bullshit. Right. You need to let him know that this is unacceptable. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, gay guys don't have a girlfriend no, like that. They're, they're doing it out of love. They're, yeah, and uh, they're a wonderful couple. This is it, where's couple. it? Where is it legal now? How many states is gay marriage no, legal? I think about 15 or something like that Let's uh, in find D.C. It's, it's happening, right? Slowly but surely. Yeah, see, he had just uh, moved to Florida, taken a new job, and they'd already had all these plans, but he couldn't get married in Florida, so they left everything in D.C. 15 states. 
um, where same uh, legal same sex marriage and um, and then there's also more states where 34 that ban same sex marriage. There's more that ban it. But recently, there's wow. been a federal uh, decision. The tax department is going to recognize it no matter what state they live in. This is fascinating, though. There's states where it's banned. It's like they have banned same-sex marriages, <laughs> 34 of them. That's amazing. They really had to go out of the way there, didn't they? But it's so stupid. It's so stupid, it's hard to believe. It's so stupid that people yeah. in this day and age decide what two people can't do because of their sex. Yeah. Like, the, if, you, if marriage is legal, okay, and I'm not sure it should be, but if marriage is legal, why shouldn't it be legal for gay people? Like, it, that's you know, so, it's just so sensible. It's so dumb. And it's such a weird thing to get behind. It's like, what's your end game here? Yeah. I don't understand how you're getting behind. Anybody would be getting behind this. Outside of some crazy religious belief, you've lost me. Like, yeah, wh- what do you care? Yeah, what do you care? Yeah. And the idea that somehow or another it's going to eventually cost us money. There's going to tax us. There's some stupid arguments that you uh. see the convoluted logic about why people being gay and getting married wouldn't make any difference. Or cost any more or less than right. them not getting married, or them, you know, or straight people getting. What, the, what, the, what studies are you talking about? Yeah. What do you, you know, who's well, doing and, studies on this? And these homophobes that are just insane. For, you know? And for what, right? They're, they're saying, you know, that that uh, gay marriage or same sex marriage now is going to cause uh, everybody to go out and rape children. I mean, they're making this stuff up. That's just unbelievable. If I, that's maybe like disinformation. Maybe like the mm-hmm. um, maybe the, the gay marriage people who are pro-gay marriage are saying shit like that <laughs> just to make it such a retarded argument. It's well, like it's really working. Clever move. You know? It is. It is. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those weird things where I, I can't believe it's still around. It's like, I remember when I was a kid, I've told this story, but in the, um, the interest of this particular discussion, when I was like, I guess I was 11 years old and I'd moved from San Francisco to Florida. And there's a lot of things that I didn't know. San Francisco was incredibly open-minded. And I, re- I really remember being very aware of the difference immediately upon moving to, uh, to Florida. Because I had a friend, his friend his, a Cuban friend. His name was Candy. And his dad, Can- Candy Escadito or something like that. It's crazy last name. I forget his last name. But his dad was screaming and yelling, slamming the newspaper on the table. I can't believe this shit. And I was like, uh, you know, trying to figure out what was going on, you know. And I was like, what's your dad mad at? And he goes like, Dad, what are you mad at? He's like, they're letting fags get married. Oh, you believe this shit? They're going to let those homos marry each other. He was mad. He was throwing the newspaper Jeez. down. I was 11. And I was like, what a silly man you are. You're a grown man. And this is something that, uh, that bothers you and concerns you. I remember thinking at an 11-year-old boy, like, wow, there's a lot of weak-ass bitches out there posing as men. Like, you dummy. Yeah. Like, what do you care? Were you, were you a tough guy because you care that two guys want to kiss each other? Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? It's just so stupid. It's such a dumb thing to get behind. You know, our, our little granddaughters, uh, I, last January, they were uh, like uh, four and a half and uh, just turned uh, eight. And I came back from the wedding, and they were still saying, now, two boys got married? and Did they kiss? And I said, yeah, let me show the pictures of them. <laughs> you know? And so now they're really cool with it. And uh, uh, one of them the other day told her teacher about... Uh, yeah, Bapa's uh, little boy is married to a boy. <laughs> you know? So Funny. it's it's going to be normal for these people. It should have been normal a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. When I was a kid, I lived in San Francisco next to this gay couple, this uh, black guy and his boyfriend, this white dude. And my aunt used to go down there, and they would smoke pot and play bongos naked. They would all get together. <laughs> I was like fucking seven. And they, would all, <laughs> they would all go next door to the gay couple's house. It was to- totally, completely normal. 
it was like there's a black guy, there's an Asian guy, there's a gay guy. It's like another wow. guy. It's like it's no big deal. I didn't even know what the word nigger meant. When I moved to Florida, I asked my mother, and she got mad at me because she thought I was playing games. And I said, I don't know what it means. What does it mean? Because someone said it at school. And she, has, she said it's a derogatory term for black people. I was like, wow, really? And you were, what, seven years old? I was 11. 11? That's when I first moved to Florida. Mm -hmm. I was Because I couldn't believe it. I hadn't experienced hardly any racism in, in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. San Francisco in the 70s. It was just the, 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 the age of utopia had expired, right? Which is like the 1960s, the late 1960s in San Francisco. But there was still an echo of like understanding and progressive thinking in San Francisco like no other place. Right. So it was a big difference to go from San Francisco in the 70s to fucking Gainesville, Florida, all right? Which right. is just... Backass, retarded. They were feeding alligators marshmallows in this fucking lake near my house. <laughs> I mean, it was ridiculous the I, difference. I moved from California from Florida, and it's and that's where all of my kids live. But it's not fit for human habitation. <laughs> I would not go back to Florida. It's a crazy fucking state. And, and you know, I lived in San Francisco in uh, late '66, early '67, uh, uh, and uh, I had just gotten married as my now ex-wife, but. She was a Texan, uh, born and raised in Houston, and and uh, she had a three-year-old son who's, who's my son. He's my oldest son, and uh, you know I adopted him and uh, was in the Navy. But uh, we're in San Francisco. It's our first uh, month living together, and she grew up in the South and called black people niggers. And I said, you know, we're gonna have more kids. We just can't have that. And she said, well, that's just what we do. And I and I said, well, let's just make a deal not to do that. And she said, well, you're smoking. I don't want him smoking. And that's the day I quit smoking. Wow. And she never said nigger again, and I quit smoking <laughs> cigarettes. <laughs> but our kids are, are pretty well balanced. You know? <laughs> wow, that's a great story. That's a, you know, sometimes it just takes one thing to get you to quit something as stupid as smoking. Yeah, just you, one realization. I, I had to have a really important reason. I didn't want my kids growing up like that. That's beautiful. Well, you shouldn't want them growing up around someone who smokes cigarettes too, right? Well, that's true. <laughs> so it's a weird thing that they did where they got that through. I mean, if you want to really look at problems that we have right now in our culture, there's a big one. And there's a big one that all these people who run for office, who get into office, they're all concerned with the loss of lives. They're all concerned with health and, and safety. They're all concerned with environmental pollution. They're concerned with economic growth. They're concerned with all these different mm -hmm. things to benefit human beings. But yet they never mention cigarettes. I mean, yeah. you want to talk about one of the biggest and most obvious pieces of evidence for a conspiracy. A conspiracy where half a fucking billion people die every year. Right. I mean, how many fucking people die every year from cigarettes? It's like 400,000 in America. Right, right. just in this country. I, mean, what, I don't know what it is worldwide, but it's got to be something and crazy. Nobody, Jamie, find out what the number is. Nobody's ever died from cannabis. You know, an but, OD of cannabis. But just imagine that there was an issue where 400,000 oh. people died in your, in your country a year. 400,000, and yet no one brings it up ever. That's insanity. That's so hard to believe that you're not talking about 400,000 lifetime, which is an insane body Even, count. Yeah. That's an insane body count. For More the, than all the wars, yeah. except like, civil. Think about like 19, you know, whenever the, they found out that cigarettes were bad for you. It was the 1950s or 60s or whatever it was where they first started going, hey, yeah. I think there's a connection between these people dying of fucking cancer and smoking on these burning right. chemical-soaked rags. You know, I think there might be a connection there. That, that Think about how many people have died since oh, then. Millions. 
Many, many millions. millions. And Each then, year, an estimated 443,000 people. And now they're pushing them on, uh, on the uh, Asian kids. You know, that's, they're really pushing cigarettes over there because it's not growing up. here. Put that back up so I can reload it. Here it says, each year an estimated 443,000 die prematurely from smoking or exposure to secondhand smoke, which is even darker. Another 8.6 million live with a serious illness caused by smoking. Wow. Approximately 46.6 million U.S. adults smoke cigarettes. Wow, that's scary. Well, both my Holy father shit. and my brother died from smoking cigarettes. That's an insane number. I didn't know it was that high. Wow. That's like under this that's is like four, knowing, mi- four million a decade. Just it's also like knowing that you've been uh, like your society has been infiltrated mm-hmm. by like aliens that are designed to kill people. If it was aliens that were killing people and not cigarettes, we would be terrified. Oh. We would feel like we're under attack. There'd be Ali- a war on cigarettes. Yeah, there's well, these aliens are killing 400,000 people every mm-hmm. year. What do we do? They're making 800, you know, million people sick as well. Like fuck, what do we do? And, you know, people that say, well, I'm going to smoke until I'm 45 or 50 or whatever. Oh. My, my father and my brother both smoked until they were about 50. And they each only lived about 10 years after they quit smoking. Oh. They both died at 63. So, uh, you know, I, it's all smoking that did it. You know, the, it's, it's, it's horrible. It's amazing how many people go for that. It's amazing. Well, it's so hard to quit. You know, you have to have some kind of really big motivation because it, nicotine is more addicting than heroin. I've heard that before. Um, it sounds like it makes sense. But well, you know, the the heroin addiction isn't what everybody thinks. It's not a hundred percent. It's it's closer to only about thirty percent really get physically addicted. Really? Yeah. It's it's low. Nicotine's about seventy five percent, and heroin's about thirty percent. We need like to that. find out who those lucky bitches are that are like twenty five percent non addicted to cigarettes, yeah. thirty percent <laughs> non addicted to heroin. Figure out who those guys are. Yeah. Check their genes. Yeah. What an awesome fucking trait to have. <laughs> not get addicted. You know, it's it's really sad. It's just it's really sad because it's it's just evidence that as long as money is around, you're not looking at people's health and welfare. And and most of us are addicted to caffeine, like yeah. it or not. That yeah. you know, when you do a, a diet for ayahuasca, you have to go off caffeine for at least a week ahead of time. Oh, and, do you? And, well, in our tradition that I'm involved in or was involved in, that uh, uh, caffeine was one of the things you gave up for at least a week ahead of time. And I had to start weaning myself a month ahead of time, just cutting it down and less and less. Because when I go cold turkey on caffeine, within three days, I'm up standing up all night with cramps in my legs, not just the headaches. Really? It, a, a caffeine addiction. Go cold turkey on caffeine for just, even if you only drink two or three cups a day. Well, I used to um, when I would stay up late writing, I would drink a shitload of coffee, mm-hmm. and all I was concerned with was getting the writing right. done. And then um, I realized one day I woke up and the next morning I had a fucking pounding headache, and I was mm. like, "Oh, my head hurts." Then I realized I just hadn't had a cup of coffee yet, <laughs> and I went, "No way!" Like I allowed myself to get this hooked on this shit. So I quit. Good. And then I took like several months off. And then I started drinking coffee conservatively since then. But I, I went without it for quite a while because I was just like, that's, I don't like that. Like I had a headache from not having something. Mm-hmm. That didn't make any sense. That's stupid. Well, after I've been off it, you know, we do a week before and a week after. And after I've been off it for two weeks, a half a cup of coffee will have me buzzing all day. I mean, it's a real drug. It's a yeah. great drug if you only use it once in a while. <laughs> It's legit. You know, it's another thing about coffee is it's everywhere. Oh. I mean, you want to talk about a drug that you can just tap into every five steps. Well, it's the only drug that labor contracts uh, require. You have to have a coffee break. Yeah. That's interesting, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. When, you know, back in the old days, they used to smoke cigarettes in the office. Oh. 
that the old days, uh, let's see, well, I guess, yeah, it was a while ago, about, but uh, about 18 years ago is when they finally got rid of it uh, where I was working at Verizon. Wow. And Verizon, 18 years well, ago. It wasn't Verizon. It was office. GTE then. But, uh, wow. Yeah, and, and, you know, cubicle hell, and there was one corner. They put all the, cu- all the people in the one corner that were smokers, you know, and, of course, it filled the whole room anyhow. Of course. But, but you could see this little cloud over this one area. You, what year was it where they did it with airplanes? Because I remember the oh. airplane thing. I, I remember it, but I, I, I remember a lot of airplane rides smoking, though. It's so weird. Oh. The airplane thing was so weird because I, I had to sit and smoking a couple times with the only seats that were available. What was the difference between smoking and It didn't smoking? matter, but, you know, when you're trying to get a seat and that's all right. they have, sorry, all you have is smoking. No, but I, I mean, the, the smoke was the same no matter where you were yeah, in the plane. You know? That's what I felt like. And how much filtration are they even doing? Is there much. An, I mean, how much can they do? Where are they getting air from? Well, I know there's been some lawsuits by flight attendants who got cancer from secondhand smoke. Oh, I would imagine. Yeah. Look at flight attendants are smoking in this picture. What happened to our world where people just smoked up a fucking storm like this? Well, so there's some improvement. Yeah, but what a weird, <laughs> weird, weird habit. Very a weird. habit that kills half a fucking million people every year. Just in just one in country. country. Worldwide. What is the is... worldwide? Do we find out what the worldwide uh, cigarette deaths are? Let me find out right here because I need to know this. This just doesn't even make sense. No, and, and I don't think we're still subsidizing tobacco farmers, but we may be. We had been up until very recently, I know. It's hilarious, isn't it? Well, we subsidize oil companies. I didn't know about that until Anna Kasparian told me about it. I, I heard her talking about that, and uh, I, I'll tell you what, the oil depletion allowance is part of the reason Kennedy was murdered. <laughs> the oil depletion allowance in Texas is huge. Tobacco use kills 5.4 million a year. Oh, my God. What does that one say? Eight million? Five. No, five. five million deaths? It'll be eight by 2030. The one I'm looking at is... Um, uh, World Health Organization. I'm on the CDC. I don't know which one's more legit. Which one's more legit? Either well, one is five million. Yeah, we're <laughs> all five million. So five. five million deaths per year. That is so many goddamn people. How can you work for that company? How do you be that company? Right. <laughs> you know, it's but but you know what? Here's the other problem. I'm pro you doing whatever you want to do. I don't have a problem. Well, with as s- long s- as it doesn't yeah in harm somebody else. Well, you know, when my dad died, that harmed my mother. Mm, yes. You know, so, yes. so you, those, smoking is harming people no matter what you're doing. And that secondhand smoke, a lot of people get cancer because they live with a smoker. Well, that's, there are some studies that say it's even worse than smoking itself. So. Oh, that's ridiculous. And, you know, I grew up in a house with uh, secondhand smoke. My dad was a smoker. and uh, <laughs> My mom was a smoker when I was really young. You know, she, uh, she gave it up, I think, by the time I was like seven. We had a basement workbench, and back then all the beer was in you know, tall bottles. And mm-hmm. uh, my dad would be down there working in the basement. And my little brother, who was uh, four and a half years younger than me, he had a habit of going around draining the bottles that my dad had. Well, <laughs> when he he left a little bit of beer in the bottom one for his cigarette thing, and he dropped about three or four butts in it. <laughs> my brother, <laughs> I can still see him spewing his uh, oh. His puke as he ran up the stairs. <laughs> oh God! You imagine what that must have tasted like. Well, I don't think he drank beer as a teenager. He had a bad taste. In his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. That doesn't even seem real, does it? I mean, that seems like something. If you had explained to someone who didn't understand human beings, you know, the, the expression is always used. If an alien came here and was uh, viewing our culture and they saw this aspect of it. They'd be like, what the fuck are you people doing? Well, I, I started smoking in uh, freshman year in high school. You know, it's the thing everybody had to do. My sister did as well. Yeah. I tried it. I was a year older than her. I tried a cigarette. I was like, what the fuck is this? This is stupid. Oh, I hated it. It took me a long time <laughs> to like it, but I wanted to be in the crowd, you know? I wanted yeah. peer pressure. 
Well, I know a lot of people. Brian Redband, who uh, is on the show, he um, he's quit a couple of times. He just can't do it. He he quits and he gets right back to it. He he got sick recently. He took off like nine days and got right back to it. He just he just gets pulled right back into it. Even those e-cigarettes, like he doesn't even use those. You know, I don't. I just. I don't understand how people can can see all these numbers and not th- and but not think it applies to them. That's that's an addiction. That's how I know, but it's a weird one. Like, why would you kill yourself? Like that. That's the weirdest one ever. It's because like, it's so slow. God, but it's got to be. It's got to be pretty fast, though. It's, if it's almost that inevitable. Many people, you say slow, but those people they feel like shit when they walk upstairs and stuff. Like that's not slow, man, because that's like diminishing your life right now. What it means to me, if you can't go up the stairs fast, if you're a normal person and you you're not old, you're not uh, you're not injured, and you can't walk up a flight of stairs without being out of breath, right? Like your life is on like real like low you, wattage. You got something wrong. Yeah, and you're not, you know, if you don't, that's all the energy you have, you're missing energy. Like, something has robbed you of energy. I don't know if you realize it, because this new life that you have, this is just your reality. It's like having water in your ears, and then you clean the water out, and you're like, oh, now I can hear. Like, Or when you pop your ears, when you're coming home from an airplane ride, and you're, you know, you feel stopped up, and you pinch your nose, and then blow on it, so the air can't get out, and your ears pop. And you go, oh, that's, this is what it sounds like. Well, you know, my, my aunt and uncle, she lived into her 90s, but <laughs> my poor uncle died a lot younger, and they were both smokers. He finally quit because he had emphysema, oh, and wow. he'd be sitting there with the oxygen, and she'd be smoking right next to him. Outlived him by 20 oh, years. Of course she did. <laughs> she poisoned him. It's just what a weird thing. Yeah. People poison each other. Well, husbands you know, poison wives. There's wives a, poison a husbands. great Bob Newhart uh, stand-up. It's one of his old things where he'd sit on a stage and put... What his, is that, Jamie? Is that Those are lungs. Black lungs Black lungs, yeah. yeah. The black lungs are smokers and the other ones are... What are they, why is it, is it hooked up to a machine that's making yeah, like them pump. inflate? That's all that does inflate. And here's oh, the, so uh, it's showing you what a, an actual black cigarette smoker's lung is like. Wow. And this is a oh, regular wow. lung. A healthy lung. Oh, my God. What a difference. What a difference. That's insane. Now you need to put as your wallpaper on your computer if you're a smoker. Just yeah. the color, Those, though. Yeah. So horrifying. So you know they're not working very well. Oh, my God. They're not working well. Yeah, I know smart people that love cigarettes. It's so weird. But, you know, this this <laughs> old Bob Newhart routine, he'd sit on a chair and put a shoe to his ear, and he was Sir Walter Raleigh. Uh, or he was a guy in England, and Sir Walter Raleigh was calling him, telling him oh. about the stuff he sent him back. And he says, it's called tobacco, and... and it's a leaf, and you light it on fire, and what do you do with it? <laughs> it's really a classic non-smoking uh, bit. That's funny, and that was probably from 1960 or something? Oh, like probably that. the 50s. Maybe, maybe, I don't know when he started. It's it? one of his early things. Is this it? There it is. There it is, yeah. Uh, Harry, pick up your extension, will you? It's Nutty Wald again. <laughs> Hi, Wald, baby. Good hearing your voice. Things are fine here, Wald. The uh, a boatload of turkeys you sent us over here last November, they're, they're still here, Walt. Uh, yeah, they're walking all over London. <laughs> See, that isn't a holiday over here, Walt. Just in America. <laughs> you got another winner for us, Walt, have you? Tobacco. <laughs> What's tobacco, Walt? A leaf. <laughs> You've got 80 tons of it. <laughs> you bought 80 tons of leaves, Walt? <laughs> oh, you're, you're beautiful, Walt. You're, uh, 
Uh, well, I, I don't know if you noticed last time. We have plenty of leaves over here in England. Uh, <laughs> see, come fall, we're up to... It's a special kind of leaf. It's some kind of food, is it? Well, no, not exactly. Uh, what, what do you do with the leaves, Walt? Lo lots of different things. <laughs> are, are you saying snuff, Walt? Uh, and, and what's snuff? You take a pinch of tobacco and you stick it up your nose. And, and it makes you sneeze. I, I imagine it would, Walt, yeah. Go, goes over very big there, does it? Uh, yeah, Goldenrod seems to do it over here, Walt. Uh, tobacco has other uses. You, you can chew it or stuff it in a pipe. Or you can shred the leaves, put it in a little piece of paper, <laughs> roll it up. You, you don't have to tell me, Walt. You stick it in your ear, right? <laughs> Between your lips. Okay, Walt. And, and then what are you doing? With it? <laughs> you set fire to it, Walt. <laughs> Hey, you want to get on the intercom? I, I don't want the boys to miss this. Oh, this is so funny. You spilled your coffee. What? What's coffee, Walt? <laughs> it's, it's a drink you make out of beans. <laughs> you, you roast them, and then you pour them in a cup. <laughs> you drink it in the morning while you smoke your cigarette. <laughs> uh. I'm still here, Walt. I'm still here. <laughs> Look, Walt, I'll tell you what you do. P put some of those on the boat. Yeah. If you can hook them with a burning leaf, I'm sure they'll go for the bean. I'm <laughs> <laughs> with you, Walt. Do me one favor, Walt. Boat. Don't call me anymore. Oh, that's great. <laughs> what year is that from? I, I saw it actually on the Ed Sullivan show. We used to watch that every uh, Sunday night. Uh, Jackie Cleese on the Saturday, Ed Sullivan on Sunday. Wow, that's fascinating. That's uh, the, the the just the way he bro broke it down was really interesting. Without even bringing up the deaths, it's still hilarious. Yeah, it's like yeah. why would you do that? Yeah, he didn't <laughs> ha he didn't state any of the health concerns. Well, this at all. was before they were really known too. Yeah, isn't that was, funny? You know, is early sixties, uh, late fifties, something like that. Did you ever see the Leonardo Leonardo DiCaprio movie um, about um, J Edgar Hoover? Ah, uh, no, I haven't seen that. When no. J Edgar Hoover was uh, young, he was kind of sickly, and so his doctor prescribed cigarettes. <laughs> His Maybe that's what made him wanted, so weird. Wanted him to smoke cigarettes when he was a young man. Like his mother in the movie is like saying to him, you know, listen to the doctor and smoke those cigarettes. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's we're weird. 
That, you know, that was a peer pressure cultural thing. You started it when you were really young because other guys were doing it. Or the movies. You know, the movies really push cigarettes. You can't see any of those old black and white movies without them smoking all That's the time. That's true, right? And TV shows, everybody always smoked yeah. cigarettes. Mm-hmm. It was like a part of being cool. Somehow. The newscasters used to smoke. You know? That's so weird. <laughs> the newscasters. They are, that's the one of the weirdest rungs of show business is the newscaster. To me, when I look at newscasting, I feel like it's like I'm watching a silent movie. You know, like, this is like some antiquated form right. of entertainment that we don't need anymore. Like, the way, if you watch an old, like, animated or an old um, uh, black and white film where, where it has subtitles, mm-hmm. and like, like Nosferatu, it's kind of fascinating because it's a time capsule. You know, you're looking into this time where this was the relevant form of medium. This right. is... This is how the, the they got their film out. It had to be like this. There was no sound. So they would play some music and then there would be a like a script and the script would be read and you know, it would break in between scenes and the screen would go It'd be black. live piano playing. Yeah, yeah. But if someone tried to do that today, you'd be like, What the fuck are you doing? Like this is so stupid. Why don't you just make a movie? Like why are you doing this? Like let them talk. Like why are you just why is it only written? That's so dumb. And that's sort of what it's like when you watch a newscast. Mm-hmm. It's like, why are you doing it like this? They read the news. You read the news, but you you barely cover anything. You cover these little tiny th- three-minute chunks on super complex issues. And where, a minute of that is telling you what they're going to do next. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, and then there's just also a lot of nonsense and things that they know that people want to listen to and tune in, mm-hmm. Like whether it's like you know Alex Baldwin grabbed a paparazzi by the neck or something like that. It's, no, like, it's infotainment now, not news. It's weird. It's weird. It's weird that they're still doing it. It seems like something that they should have stopped doing a long time ago <laughs> or come up with a new way to do it where I don't feel like you're bullshitting me. I don't know anybody who talks like that. There's only one news show I watch, and that's uh, John Stewart, The Daily Show. Yes, that's a great news show. The only... I mean, I, I like him because he calls out both people. Right. He's, he, he's very consistent on his... Uh, he's pretty equal opportunity. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if the Obama administration does something silly, if the Bush yeah. administration did something silly, he, he's he's really, he'll go after... He, he definitely leans left. Oh, sure, but he's, he'll go after he'll Obama go after just everyone. as quickly as anybody else. Yeah, but they can't rely on that for news. It's more entertaining well, <laughs> than the news. <laughs> well, that's the closest <laughs> I get to watching a news show. <laughs> for me, it's the internet by far, the internet oh, yeah. in a big leap. But then it's, it becomes a matter of, like, have you ever seen people getting into discussion on the Internet and someone will put up an article from, like, the Daily Mail and then they'll go, the, and the other person arguing with them be like, the Daily Mail, really? You believe a <laughs> fucking link from the Daily Mail? And then it becomes, all right, well, what, 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 where can I get my goddamn information from? Like, and it becomes an, an issue of what's the source and, you know, who's, uh, who's, where's the money behind uh, this, this organization? Because these organizations are going to be eventually... Just like CBS or NBC or Fox mm-hmm. News, it's going to be there's going to be influences behind them. It's not they're not going to be like this is the raw data that right. we're collecting from all around the world. Here it is, but also some commercials. <laughs> well, but you like know? you know, during the peak of the Occupy movement, I, I spent hundreds of hours watching uh, UStream TV because you were watching the raw thing taking place. Yeah, you were really interesting. Your podcast was really interesting during that time. Was, you did a lot of uh, social commentary where mm-hmm. you might not ordinarily do that. That. And you were talking about how important the, the Occupy movement was. I, I feel like that's the, the discussion about the Occupy movement has dwindled dramatically. It, it has, but I'll tell you the way I look at the Occupy movement, of what we've seen. If they had announced in the beginning saying, okay, we're going to do phase one, 
And what we're going to do is raise awareness around the world that there's a big income distribution uh, problem that we have, 1%, 99%. Mm-hmm. And we're going to show that this is true everywhere in the world and that we're living in a police state because the police are going to shut us down. If that's, that's our only objective. That's phase one. If that was put out that way, I think they'd say, oh, it was a big success. Now, just uh, the other day, there was a thing in the news that the Occupy New York people had $400,000 left in their account, uh, donations. And they took that 400000 and they bought $15 million worth of credit card debt that people had run up on medical bills and forgave it all. And now wow. they're using that knowledge that they've learned to, to do videos and stuff to teach people how they can do that for themselves to buy their credit card debt for pennies on the dollar instead of what they're going after them for. So, and, you know, I've got friends in, in uh, Australia and the U.K. and a couple places here in the States, friends, I say Internet friends, I've never met them in person, that are still very interested or involved, I should say, in Occupy-type activities. But what we know now is that we're not alone, that they're mm. all around the world there's people that are thinking like this. So it's more of a consciousness awakening than a movement, but I think it's still uh, simmering under the surface and... Uh, you know, it got a lot of bad press, uh, obviously, but like I was starting to say, I, I spent hundreds of hours watching and, and interacting in chat rooms with these people and all. So I felt like, you know, I knew a little bit better what was going on than what was coming out in the press and stuff like that because that was all slanted. And uh, these people are really uh, on top of things. And we do now know 1%, 99%. So nothing mm-hmm. else. It was pretty successful as a movement that way. Well, yeah, pretty successful as a, as a, a, like a talking point. Right. And it became the talking point. Because it, it used to be talked about like the top percent. Right. Several percent, 5%, mm-hmm. whatever it is. But then when it became the 1%ers, the 99%ers, then it became a really thing. Yeah, where everybody was like, "Oh, okay." Yeah, that's David Graeber. I think is the one that got credit for coming out with that. And, yeah, that becomes a viral idea, and people yeah. start discussing it. Do you know that ninety nine percent of the people in this country don't own one percent owns fifty percent of the wealth or whatever the fuck it is? And you're like, "What?" But it's actually three hundred people own forty five percent of the wealth. That's amazing. Yeah, those guys are ballers. Yeah, they, they win. <laughs> <laughs> I think that what's interesting about all this, I have a very uh, optimistic view of the human race. I think. Uh, I think ultimately people want to live a life that's harmonious and happy. I think if that's true with you and that's true with me and that's true with pretty much everybody that I know, it's got to be true with all people. So it's a matter of spreading that idea through the population as quickly as possible to as many people as possible and let them understand that the way that we've been living our lives for decades and generation after generation is just the momentum of an ignorant past. It doesn't have to be that way anymore. And it doesn't mean that you can't have government and it doesn't mean you can't have corporations and it doesn't mean that you can't have people who have more wealth than other people. It just means everything should be done fairly. And if you guys are putting laws into place that allow you to fuck people over, allow you to move your factories to Mexico and have people work for pennies in the dollar, allow, there's a lot of shit that you're being allowed to do as far as like polluting the environment that shouldn't be kosher. And there, there should be a way to resolve that. And the way to resolve that is not you spend money to change the law to make it legal for you to do something that's horrible. The, what should be is figure out what the fuck you can do to make sure that you don't pollute the environment, structure your law so that you don't rip people off, figure out a way to make it so that you're not in control of a, a giant 
chunk of, of, of this river that your factories buy, the pollution that leaks into it. Figure out how to make it so that you're not poisoning the wells of, of people in town because you're fracking and you're pulling uh, natural gas out of the ground and destroy these people's wells. Figure out how to do it without doing that. And if you can't do it, don't do it. Just don't do anything where you put money in front of humanity. It seems to me like we can still have competition. It seems to me we can still have capitalism. It just needs to be a moral capitalism, an ethical capitalism, where humanity and people and just caring about people and realizing we're not going to be here forever. It's a fairly short ride. Just Very be short. fucking nice to people. And all the money that you make being an asshole and putting people out of work, you're not going to appreciate that money. Most likely, if you're in a position to put a bunch of people out of work and, and make a fuckload of money and fuck someone over, you probably already have a lot of money. You're already in a sweet spot. You're in a, some weird position of influence. But enjoy what you got, you fucking stranger. You weird person trying to pollute the river. You weird asshole who doesn't care about polluting someone's wells. You should be devastated if that happens. You should stop operations. But no, because they know they can pull billions of dollars worth of natural resources out of the ground by still continuing these practices. They're like, they don't even consider not doing it. They just do it. They just keep doing right. it, and they find ways to do it where it harms less or it does, has less of an environmental impact, allegedly. You know, I mean, I don't even know what the numbers are, but the, the, the raw data shows that they fucked up a lot of areas doing this stuff. But no one's talking about stopping doing it. They're just going for it. But See, you're, you've hit the nail on the head, is that it's not about regulating things from the top down and trying to get people to change their ways. It's getting people to change themselves. Yes. And one of the good examples of a corporation is uh, Dr. Bonner's, the soap company. Uh, Dr. Bonner— That's uh, the hemp soap. Yes, yes. They might be hippies. What do you think? Well, he has—the uh, <laughs> well, guy, was, I think he was like 25 years old when his dad died, and he had to take over the company and didn't really want to. But he, uh, for one of the first things he did, it says nobody in the company can make more than five times the lowest paid person in the company. Wow. And he's, he's got a really, you know, a very conscientious, uh, conscious company. And uh, I've read, you know, there's a lot of others like that. And it's got to be from the bottom up where they just start doing it and they're successful. He's competing in the soap business. And, uh, in fact, if you go to Burning Man, it's the only soap that will get all that dust off your hands. <laughs> if you go to Burning Man, you got other problems. <laughs> somebody, somebody on Twitter told me I should get you to go to Burning Man. Yeah, people keep asking me to go to Burning Man. Look, I meet plenty of dirty hippies in my everyday life. There's, there's too many of them there. Well, you know, I don't like camping. I don't enjoy the <laughs> desert. I can't stand the heat, and I couldn't wait to get back. But I've, I stopped going. I haven't gone since 2007 now. Good and, move. It's become yeah, commercialized. Well, oh, yeah, and it's, it's so expensive. And, 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 and then you're offline for like two months afterwards trying to recover. But it, it, <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, the times. I went were some of the most spectacular times. I'm obviously talking shit because I've never been. I don't want all the people that actually go and enjoy it don't think I'm being serious. Go have a good time. And I know that most of you are probably cool as fuck. The problem is there's that small percentage that's going to be so annoying that I can't go. There's but just you, a you know, small uh, percentage. That's, that's one of the things that was kind of unique about Burning Man, I thought, is that uh, in fact, it was the first year we went. Uh, camp across from us was uh, starting in the afternoon, you know, some loud music and all. And we had a bunch of people just sitting around talking. And so uh, one of the ladies in our camp took a, a tray full of cold beers and popsicles over to him and said, can we bribe you to turn the music off for a couple hours? And, oh, sure. And they turned it off. And, you know, it's a functioning anarchy is what it is. Right. Well, that's very nice. That's and, a great and, nice And you're example. right. It's gotten, I wouldn't say commercial, but it's gotten really big. But one of the one of the people who I know uh, was at this year's camp, and she's been there, I think, 19 years in a row, and said this was the best year she'd ever been. Now, 
When I started going, it was like 25,000 people, and it was much more manageable than 60-some now. Well, for, for the most part, I mean, this is pretty much almost anywhere I go. When I run into people that want to talk about things, it's a cool conversation, for the most sure. part, 99% of the time. But there's always that 1%, maybe 1 out of 100, it might, might be even less than that, where someone just gives you a bu- brutal ear-beating on the power <laughs> of crystals, and you're like, oh, Jesus, will you stop? Or, or someone who they know who's a healer, you're like, oh, Christ. <laughs> Someone who they know that's the channels. I, t- I heard this guy fucking talking to me about a channeler the other day. I was like, please stop. Well, we they used to call them can't. schizophrenics, but uh. whatever it is, it's like I, you know, come on, man. If, if you're not channeling, shut the fuck up. And if you are channeling, let me see it. Because if you're not channeling, if you've never channeled, how do you know what's right. going on there? You don't know what's going on there. This could be a lot of factors. You know, that, that guy might be losing his marbles right there. You might be watching an act. You well, might be watching a crazy person who I, needs a lot of attention. I guess I miss those people at Burning Man. I was into the <laughs> <laughs> drugs and, and booze part. Well, this it. wasn't even at Burning Man. This is just a conversation yeah. with someone. It's one of the weird things about the podcast is so many people have to talk to me about something. They have this idea that they have to tell me. And, you know, many times it's very mm-hmm. interesting, but many times it's not. And many times it's like just brutal nonsense. We're like, okay. I have this friend of mine who believes in psychics, and he's going on and on about the psychic who, uh, who told him everything about his life. And I go, everything about your life? And he goes, yeah. I go, did he tell you any shit you don't know? <laughs> he goes, no. And I go, well, don't you think that's weird? He goes, dude, he knew about my grandmother. I go, don't you know about your grandmother? Why do you want someone to tell you shit you already know? Did you ever think that maybe you've been manipulated and maybe he structured questions in a way that got you to reveal certain information or think that you were, were not answering it for him, but he was leading you in a certain direction? Did you ever think that that might be possible? And he like paused and like, no. He goes, I never even thought about it. I go, well, you should probably think about that. Yeah, a lot of people get sucked into these things uh, without giving it thought, you know. And and then some of them, you know, in the psychedelic realm, it's 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 even goofier. People come up to you, but yeah. Uh, one time <laughs> at a conference, a friend of mine had just given his presentation, and I went up to say something to him, and he was surrounded by a bunch of people, and there was this one girl who was obviously just really whacked out on something. She had spiked purple hair, and she's piercings everywhere, and she couldn't stand still, and she's bouncing around, and she says, "Well, how come people don't?" Prove of psychedelics, and he said, "Well, they're afraid they're going to turn out like you." <laughs> Whoa, that is an issue. Yeah, <laughs> it's an issue with potheads too. Oh know? yeah, a lot yeah. of lazy, sloppy potheads that just you know, they're they're so loathsome to be around that they make you connect that behavior to marijuana. Like, when I was a kid, I thought that marijuana made you lazy, and uh, I had all these negative things attached mm-hmm. to it until. I met my friend Eddie Bravo, who was a smart guy. He was very articulate, and he liked to smoke pot and talk about all these crazy things, and and liked to make his music when he was high. I was like, "You make music when you?" I thought it was just like the, something to turn you into a moron. Right. He was like, I'm "Like I didn't want to get like that." And he was like, "No, no, no, no. It enhances your creativity." And and once I immediately started smoking pot, or once I started smoking pot, I immediately started resenting all the dopey stereotypical right. potheads. I was like, God damn it, you guys ruined something that's amazing. Shape up here, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you you ruined the image of something that's amazing yeah. by being a knucklehead. You know, uh, I had an experience when I was working uh, back in the phone company, and, and uh, one of the guys I worked for was a vice president. He was pretty far up there, and we worked really closely together for almost a year. And uh, I, I won't go into the whole story, but uh, after about a year, we're out dinner one night, and he says, he, he was making a confession for a, a reason, and he said, well, I smoke pot. And I said, really? 
let's go to my house right now. <laughs> now, we'd worked together for a year in a really high-powered environment, and I found out later that he's going up the car two or three times during the day to have a few tokes. <laughs> <laughs> so you can function pretty highly if you know what you're doing. Oh, you can definitely function pretty highly, especially if you get used to it. The, yeah. way, I, the way I describe it is it's like surfing. You watch a guy who's a really good surfer or a girl who's a really good surfer, man, they can ride some crazy waves. But if you put me on a surfboard, I'm falling flat on my fucking stupid <laughs> face. I can't surf at all. I've never done it. So if I tried it, I'm sure I would suck at it. I, I tried it once, and I sucked at it. <laughs> <laughs> Marijuana smoking is like riding a psychedelic wave. And there's a, there's a wave of the psychoactive substance, THC, that hits your body. And you can either ride that wave or you can trip out on the fact that you're on this wave and freak out and, you know, start getting paranoid or going down dark places in your mind or, you know, just spiral. That's possible, too. But once you get good at it, you don't that doesn't happen very often. It's like you, you understand you, you've the You've probably state. been smoking pot longer than I have. That's impossible. I, I had my first toke in 1985. No, I started smoking pot in 2001. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, you're I, another late bloomer. I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was stupid until I was like 30 or something like that. I thought it was so dumb. I was like, this is the stupidest thing ever. These people are wasting their lives smoking <laughs> pot. <Yeah. laughs> I, I didn't know how at first. Yeah, I'd been a smoker. And, you know, I, I got this pot and I, I wasn't inhaling properly. <laughs> and really? I, and, and I smoked, I was on my third joint. <laughs> and it was like over a period of three or four weeks. And finally, <sighs> I got really, all of a sudden I figured it out. You know? Oh, you got to inhale and, it. And the, the woman that had given me the cigarettes, I called her at, wor- at work. I was off and I called her at work. I said, it works. I got stoned. And she says, don't shout. <laughs> That's fine. Keep it down. The walls but, have ears. But it took me a while to even learn how. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of people that are worried about people finding out they smoke pot. Oh yeah, I think that's hilarious. But you know, not out here anymore. But uh, not as much. But still, in a lot of ways, like I, I've had you know conversations with people. They go, you know, hey, you ever face any repercussions because you talk about pot? And I'm like, realistically, anybody that would be upset with me because they found out that I smoke pot. I really don't want to talk to them anyway. Right. Like, if they don't like me, I probably wouldn't like them anyway. Like, that that's a, such a stupid stance to take. Yeah. Like, li- just listen to what I have to say about it. And if it doesn't make sense to you, that's one thing. But if you're upset at me because you found out that I smoke pot, okay, take care. Yeah, good, I, good you luck. know, I, I worried about that at, at one time. But finally, you know, I've done the, the podcast now, and, and <laughs> I'm pretty much out of the closet. But uh, I still get a little resistance from people in the family that uh, are unhappy with it. Well, I've had friends that have had some serious drug issues, and I've also had people that I've talked to that were, like, real straight edge. And one of the reasons why they were straight edge is, like, maybe they lost a family member to addiction. Mm. Um, And uh, I've had conversations with them about it before where I totally understand that, and I totally get that mindset. And I probably would have been in that mindset myself um, if it not for several people that I met in my life. Because I'd... I'd lost a friend to heroin, and um, I lost a, a friend uh, in high school to heroin. Two people to heroin, actually, that I know. But more than that, I think I've lost at least one other ones to to pills, to like opiate pills. So I guess he's uh, that could that would be considered in, sure. along the same lines. And I could get the idea where people would be upset at people that smoke pot or what anything because they would think they would connect it to you know losing their family members. But man, it's unfortunate that the word drug is such a broad oh. term. Well, see, that's one of the reasons I'm doing what I'm doing because we, if with proper drug education, those guys might still be alive. Yeah. You know that we don't educate; we just say no instead of K and O W. And uh, so, you know, I think that if we can just uh, 
get a couple more generations behind us where people are, are not so oppressed by them. I, one of my uh, favorite uh, stories I got from a, a kid uh, listening to the podcast, when he was like, uh, he just got out of high school, he's 18, his father caught him growing mushrooms in his, his closet and turned him in the police, and the kid wound up doing hard time, a felon. Oh, God. And so he came back out of jail, and he just went, started going to church with him three or four times a week and became a fundamentalist Christian again and just went through the exercises. Then he found the salon and uh, realized that, hey, he wasn't crazy. There's other people that do this, too. And he got himself a fast food job, saved up his money. He's out in the West Coast uh, working as an artist right now. And so uh, wow. he got out of that oppressive uh, atmosphere. So. That's uh, fascinating. Yeah, I've had gay story. kids tell me they've come out of the closet being gay, but they're afraid to tell their their parents that they're psychedelic or they smoke pot. Wow! Think about that. That's fascinating. You could have a great smoke pot or smoke pole joke there, but don't do it. <laughs> it's not worth it. Don't go for it. Yeah, I did. I did a podcast. Uh, Daniel Jabor, a young man up in San Francisco, that started the Psychedelic Society up there. Uh, he started it like just two years ago, and he's got four thousand members already. And oh, you know, they have wow. meetings and stuff. And four thousand so members. Yeah, four thousand. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. He, he's a young guy. I think he's mid twenties, and he said he went to college and never smoked pot until he got to college and got into pot and mushrooms and now he started the psychedelic society of san francisco and has four thousand members and he's a drug a- uh, advocate you know activist and wow. but anyhow he has a uh he did a talk that i podcast called coming out of the psychedelic closet and i got a letter in the mail the other day from a kid that uh, he uh he sent a little drawing he did of the closet with his name on it and he says i just can't come out of it yet <laughs> wow but That's you know if i was still in the workaday world working in the belly of the beast i i I uh, now in California or someplace with medical marijuana, I'd probably be honest about that. But I would never talk about uh, psychedelics in the corporate world. I mean, that's a quick way to get fired. Yeah, it's fascinating that you can't talk about an experience even that you've had ten years ago. Right? They'll label you as some crazy hippie that's trying to clean his act up. <laughs> you know, you're what? You're trying to pretend that you're one of us. You're normal? You're just a fucking dirty hippie doing acid in your lunch break. Right. Yeah, yeah. I missed um, the hippie thing. I was in the Navy then, so I'm doing mine at this this stage of my life instead. <laughs> you were in the Navy in the '60s. Yeah, yeah. Wow. '66 to '70, I was in uh, Vietnam on, uh, off the coast with the Navy, and uh, actually, my wife was a Navy nurse too. So uh, we were both in the Navy then. That's amazing, man. What What did you do back then? Was there any uh, substances in your alcohol. life? Alcohol, alcohol, alcohol. Lot, wow. lots and lots of alcohol. In fact, uh, I can tell you where I was on the day you were born. Wow. You were born in 67? Yes. I was in the officer's club at Subic Bay in the Philippines. We were on a break from the gun line. And the reason I remember it, because I was drinking my first flaming flagon celebrating my 25th birthday. Wow. You were born on the same day. That's amazing. And uh, the reason that the the flaming flagon was one of the uh, traditions in our wardroom, and it was a brandy snifter, and you'd light the brandy on fire, and then you had... Sip it down with a brandy on fire. Well, it was in the afternoon. And we didn't realize the brandy had been burning a while. And by the time I, I didn't have any problem getting liquid down, but I burnt my lip on the damn glass. <laughs> it was so oh, hot. Wow. But anyhow, on, on my 25th birthday was your uh, born day. So. Wow. And you're out getting fucked up. <laughs> well, in celebration, the world, <laughs> hey, world, Joe Rogan has arrived. The whole wardroom went out and celebrated. Wow. And burnt their lips. <laughs> and only me. They didn't, they weren't dumb <laughs> enough to do that. But no, I didn't have anything until I was 42 years old. Was it around you at all? Did you see it anywhere? You know, I went through college without even hearing the word marijuana. What? Where'd yeah. you go to school? The moon? I, I graduated in 64. I went to a, a small boys' college in the Midwest called Notre Dame. 
<laughs> you went to Notre Dame and you never heard about weed? Not in the, not in 60 to 64. That's insane. How is that possible? It, it wasn't there. Oh, my God. That's amazing. It wasn't there. And What was that like? Oh, well, it was very repressive. <laughs> I would imagine it would be very, very strange. You know, there were no girls there. And uh, we had to get up uh, at least three days a week. You had to sign in outside the chapel between 7 and 7.30 fully dressed. Uh, lights out were at 10.30, and lights out was pretty serious. You couldn't have an electric clock or an electric blanket because they cut off the electricity to your room. And I, I had a classmate kicked out of school for studying by candlelight. I mean, that's wow. how repressive it was. It was it, wow. it was really a, a backward place. You know? Studying by candlelight got you kicked out of school? Yeah, probably because he stole the candles from the grotto or something. Oh. But no, it was, oh, no, it was for studying by candlelight. That's why he got wow. kicked out of school. Wow, that's so dumb. Oh, it, it was a crazy place. You that's know? so insanely dumb. We were the only class up until recently, I think, that uh, never once saw a winning football team. <laughs> four years of losses. Wow. And so I parlayed that by uh, selling my four yearbooks on eBay, and I, I marketed it that way, and somebody bought them for 156 bucks. <laughs> That's funny. That's interesting. What a weird time. But I was, I was living in Dallas, in, and I was 42 years old when ecstasy hit the streets, MDMA. And uh, I, I'd never taken any drugs. I didn't even smoke pot. Came you know, out of the Navy and everything. And you were an pot. attorney, right? Yeah. In, in Houston, I was an attorney. Then in Dallas, I started a computer company. I had a personal computer company that, uh, well, in 1981, we outgrossed Microsoft. You know, I had four-color picture in Forbes magazine, made the front page of the Wall Street Journal. And really? Then IBM came in and crushed us like a bug. <laughs> wow. But, what was the name of your computer company? Ready for this is in Dallas, Texas, and yeah. I named it Dynasty. <laughs> oh my! Dynasty goodness. Computer Corporation. But, That's uh, hilarious. It, it was. Uh, we were the Amway of computers. I had like three thousand distributors around the country, and uh, it was it was crazy. And we sold we sold this machine. You want to hear this? I don't sure, know. Sure. Yeah. It was an eight K machine with sixteen K of RAM. Wow. And it was a twelve inch black and white monitor and a cassette tape deck is what we used for input and output. And you'd have to load your your uh, your boot program, and then you'd get a CRC error, so you'd adjust the tone and rewind it and then load it again. And and we sold hundreds of these for 3000 bucks each. Wow. And, and parents would say, you know, why do I need this? You know, you've got recipe program and, and Pong and a couple games. And I said, I don't know why you need it, but if your kids don't have this, they're going to be left behind when they're 30 years old. <laughs> and, and uh, later, uh, I was talking at uh, one of the, the Java conventions in San Francisco, and a guy came up to me and gave me his card, and he's CEO of a company, like 100 programmers and all, and he said, you don't remember me, do you? And I said, no. And he says, my dad bought a computer from you, and you told him that it would help me. <laughs> wow. So I don't know if anybody else got help, but at least one customer turned out well. <laughs> what year was this? Uh, I, let's see. We went out of business. I, I started in, in uh, 79, <sighs> 79, and we made it till 84. Wow. And it was, it was great. It was, you know, you heard of the dot-com bubble. Well, this was the PC bubble. And it was right. before IBM got in. And, you know, we'd run short on memory chips. And I'd call up my friend at Osborne. And he'd ship me some. And then when I got some back, I'd ship him. And it was a you know, closed network. It was a pretty good old boy thing, you know. Fascinating. And it was a lot of fun. It was great fun. But uh, we didn't know what we were doing. You know, we were geeks. And, and uh, I didn't know anything about cash flow or business. You know, I'd been an electrical engineer and a lawyer. But I didn't know anything about business. And so... We, we just sort of sold ourselves out of business. And by the time we were done, uh, the last six, six well, eight, nine months, I was uh, financing the thing by selling ecstasy. <laughs> what? So how did the ecstasy come into play? I was, uh, 
I was doing this computer thing, and, and a close friend of mine, a lawyer in Biloxi, called me one day, and he says, what do you know about ecstasy? And I said, what do you mean? He said, oh, it's a drug. And I said, well, I don't do drugs. And he says, it's legal. You know, now this is in Texas, and, and at that time, you're getting 30 years to life for a single joint. And so there's no way I'd touch something like that, you know. And I'd, I'd get disbarred. Years to and life yeah. for a joint. For one oh joint. Yeah. And so uh, he says, no, this is legal. And I had a friend, a friend of my wife's, actually, and she was a model in town, ran with a fast crowd. And I met with her, and she fixed me up. And uh, so I got involved, and, and uh, then my friend wanted some. So I sent him 50, and I started telling friends about it. And I became really evangelical about it. And uh, wow. pretty soon I'm buying hundreds and 500, 600, and... and uh, I didn't realize that at the time, the guy I was buying from was actually the, the main man and uh, the big guy that started. See, ecstasy hit the street in Dallas. It had been out here in the West Coast for several years with the uh, therapist and all. But wow. Dallas and the Stark Club was the ground zero. And uh, the Stark Club was just, the Stark Club was so big, Madonna moved to Dallas to be close to that club. What? <laughs> yes. There's a documentary going to be coming out soon uh, called The Stark Project. And uh, it, it was an insane place. It's really the, the genesis of uh, house music uh, before even Chicago. It was called Stark Club Music. Wow. And, uh, then it, and, and there were bowls of ecstasy on the bar where you go buy, you know, give them 20 bucks and get a, get a hit because it was all legal. And, uh, you know, they had chill space. It was a crazy place that you would, it was like Burning Man in a building. In fact, Larry Hagman was a regular there, and, and uh, in, the, in this movie that's coming out, he's quoted as saying, uh, he lights up and he says, oh, it was the greatest party on earth. He says, the only better party is Burning Man, but that's like putting a Stark Club in the middle of a desert. <laughs> but peop, some people would get all dressed up Burning Man type, and, and we're talking name brand people, you know, the talking heads and people like that, Madonna. Uh, even W showed up. George W had been there, and uh, it, was, it was just wild and crazy, and they played this house music, and they had a chill space, and co-ed bathrooms it was just a wild place and uh that's that's really where ecstasy started spreading now i was selling to all of my friends and and a lot of <laughs> co-workers and everybody and we were really serious about it that uh, i would make people read all whatever literature there was you know there wasn't very much there's a speech sasha gave and a talk that rick doblin had given at the international uh, health organization but not much but we were really serious and i was sort of not in the club scene i was getting people together in small groups and doing it but i sold a lot of x and i was getting deep discounts and so i was using that money to cash flow my business when you say sasha do you mean sasha Shulman? yeah mm-hmm yeah, a lot of folks don't know who you're talking about. Oh, okay, I'm Good sorry. Sasha. Yeah. Sasha Shulgin <laughs> is the guy that, uh, he didn't in, in, invent MDMA, but he uh, resurrected it. It was patented in the early 1900s. Oh. And he uh, resynthesized it and wrote a paper about it that uh, hit the underground. But most of what I call the ABC chemicals are came from Sasha Shulgin, you know, 2CB, 2CI, all those things. Did you ever see the Vice documentary where Hamilton Morris interviews uh, Sasha Shulgin? I don't think I saw that one, no. By the way, I don't think that's the only time I've ever said that word in my life. Shulgin? Shulgin. Oh, Sasha Shulgin. I've never said his He's one of those names that I've read his name a hundred times, but I've never yeah. said it. Um, yeah, the really interesting Vice documentary where Hamilton Morris went and um, met with him and had a long day with him, and he went over different compounds with him and talked about discoveries and, you know, what he found and, you know. Yeah, Sasha was a regular at the Palenque seminars, and uh, we'd sit down and, and, and uh, we, a whole bunch of us. I, I, uh, I've had a few... Uh, one-on-one -on -one conversations with him, but we always talked about things like the Navy. Uh, he was in the Navy in World War II, but the chemists would come on, and they would start talking ABC, XYZ. And what are his acronym books? He has these books. Uh, 
P-call and T-call. Yes. Uh, phenethylamines, I have known and loved, and tryptamines, I have known and loved, are the two acronyms. <laughs> and the first parts of the book are, are like a novel, and they, they use fictional names, which so is about Anne and Sasha and their friends. And then the last half of the book is, is a recipe section. And there are literally probably over, well over a thousand chemicals there. And if you look in the index, the ones in bold are the ones that are psychoactive. And so uh, actually before 9-11 happened, uh, I was a part of a study group where we were kind of working our way through it. And every two weeks we get this little powder in the mail and, you know, experiment with it and try it. And then, uh, you know, 9-11 came and they started sending uh, what smallpox or whatever it was through the mail. Anthrax. Anthrax, yeah. And so, you know, this chemist was out of the country and he says, I'm, I'm not sending any more powder through the U.S. mail. So uh, that ended that experiment. But a lot of the things you're hearing about now uh, are things that are coming out of his books. He, he, he is, he's, he's really declining now, but uh, he's, he's, he should have gotten a Nobel Prize. Now, now, the way he would do this is he'd, he'd get an idea for a chemical. He'd say, well, what if I move this atom over to this part of the ring? And then he'd synthesize that. And then he'd start out with what he would think to be a sub-standard you know, dose, a real low dose. And he'd work his way up over the period of a month or so. And he did this with like a thousand chemicals. He did it all to himself. Uh, until he finally found out what the active dose was. And then he, <laughs> he had a group of people, uh, which I, I've met several of them. There's only one or two of them still alive, actually. <laughs> but it, they were all in their 60s and 70s. And, they're, and they're, they're the ones that are talked about in the front part of the book. And then in the back part where he synthesizes it, there's these, all these comments uh, you know, of, what, of people that took them. And I've seen the original documents for these comments. For each paragraph, there's like 16 pages single-space typed. Uh, I mean, this was in-depth research that they did a, for a number of years over hundreds of compounds. Can you imagine being friends with that guy while this was all going on? <laughs> <laughs> Every day, what are you doing today? We're going to the center of the universe. You want to come? <laughs> oh, man, I did that yesterday. Don't you guys take a day off? And, and I'll tell you what, if you sat down and talked with him when, you know, he's, he's declining mentally a little bit and he's blind now, but uh, if you sat down and talked with him, you would think that, that he'd been your next door neighbor growing up. You know, wow. he could talk to you about anything and he's, he was one of the ha is one of the happiest people I know. I'm sure. He's probably never sobered up. <laughs> no, but he's a, he's a serious scientist, a very serious scientist. Oh, he's a very serious. Well, yeah. there's nothing wrong with that as well. You know, and, the idea of being a serious scientist and not experimenting with your consciousness, right. being and mutually you, exclusive. You might be able to find a picture of Sasha in his lab. Uh, his lab was an old uh, potting shed out behind his house. It's still there. And, yeah. and uh, they've now bottled up everything and they want to get it to the Smithsonian or something. But it's it. you look at it and you say... God, this you know, this is a mad scientist place. You know, it's it came all this stuff came out of just such a, a small little shed. Yeah, Hamilton Morris actually went in the shed. Oh yeah, they, yeah okay. They were viewing. Yeah, that's it right there. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> he's, I mean, he's this so is a leaky crazy. old potting shed. That's what your shed looks like if you've done drugs a million times. <laughs> it just starts looking like that. I mean, that guy's done every drug there is a million times over. Yeah, but you know, he he doesn't like pot. That wow. I, I put out a podcast oh, once where oh, dare he. he and his wife are talking, and, and he's talking about this one experience that they had, and he says, oh, it's awesome. You know, we stopped time, and we actually stopped it. He says, I don't know why we started that clock again. And she said, well, you chickened out. And he said, what were we on that time? She said, brownies. <laughs> uh. But normally, uh, he, he doesn't like pot. It doesn't, you know, I know probably about 25% of the psychedelic people just don't get along with pot. That's interesting. What's the mm -hmm. number one concern? Or, uh, they complaint? don't like it. They just they don't like it. 
Just, I wonder if it's the, the self-examinatory aspects of it. Well, some of these chemicals get pretty self-examinatory. Yeah, they do. It's too, true. Though. Acid, for sure. Mushrooms, for sure. Yeah, I don't know. There's a there's a real abrasive quality to eating pot. You know, it's an abrasive, self-examinatory thing that a lot of people find very uncomfortable. Yeah, and you've got to really practice with each dose until you get the right amount, too. Yes, you do. And you really don't know. Like, you're getting a cookie from somebody. Unless you've been... Even if you made them yourself, you know, you have to, like, test out each batch and go, well, this is a strong batch, or this is not a strong right. batch, or this one, you know. But we had a friend who, uh, at, at a going-away party last night, we were in Palenque, uh, we had this little party, and, and somebody made some brownies, and they said, don't eat more than a quarter of one. <laughs> and she got there late. Famous last words. <laughs> and she ate two brownies. Oh, no! That was on a Saturday night, and the following Tuesday, she was still too stoned to go to work. Oh my god, that's an excuse. She's a lazy bitch. She just didn't want to go to work. Well, I I got I got stoned one time that it lasted uh, over twenty four hours. Oh it was, god, they were. We had this friend that was that was making this Delta Nine. It was just pure. They take over a pound of hash and it'd go down to like one gram. Oh my god! And it was in these little bottles, and you'd have to take it out with a pinhead, you know, and titrate it with. Uh, you could you could smoke it or you could titrate it into uh, alcohol. Well. I, you know, it was all stuck in the bottom of the bottle and it wasn't coming out. So I thought, well, I'll microwave it just a little bit. And I was doing five seconds, five seconds, nothing. So I went 11 seconds and it shot out like a a volcano. And I had it on a piece of paper, (laughs) paper towel. I was living in Florida then and and, uh, the woman who's now my wife was in California. And anyhow, I I took the towel and I didn't want to waste it. So I ate it. I swallowed it. You ate the whole towel? Well, it was just a little part of the towel that had the, all oh. the pot on it. And That's... then I called her, and I told her what I did. And <laughs> she said, oh, that towel has chlorine. And she wasn't worried about the pot. But she, and she's a nurse with a master's in health. you know. So I, I took her advice seriously. She said, oh, that chlorine and stuff, That's that, that towel, you shouldn't have eaten the towel. And, of course, by then I'm starting to get kind of panicky. So I took some uh, Pepto-AC, <laughs> which kind of activated the whole thing. And I was stoned for a good 48 hours. 48 hours? I, I was functional after 24. Wow! But I I could healthy. tell. Oh, I could tell I was still high. Yeah, <laughs> it's very uncomfortable. It's not. It's not fun. But so this person, your friend, was was high. She said until Tuesday. Yeah. So what she, day did she start it on? Saturday night, late. So and Sunday, Monday, and then Tuesday she was she, still high. She, she went to work Tuesday, but she said she was not feeling too good. Oh my goodness! No, you don't want to do that. It's it's uh, that seems so crazy. Oh, it is. And that's that's really well, only and when both you eat of those it, right? were accidents. You know, that's only when you eat it. Yeah, though. but you know, it didn't kill us. Yeah, of course. No, it doesn't kill anybody unless you do something really stupid while you're in that state. It won't be the drug that kills you though. Well, it could be. It could be if you're really stupid. Well, I mean, you, you wouldn't something. overdose. You can't overdose. Right. You can't overdose yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where should you be able to go to the hardware store and buy a saw? I say you should. Sure. But if enough people cut their hands off with saws, will we have like protests to you know make it so that it's very difficult to get a saw? You have to get a license to get a saw. Or certain, you should wear a sign saying, I'm stupid, I used to saw when I'm stoned. Yeah, well, the same argument really could be used about firearms, except sure. the fact that people use them against other people. But the idea that if you have a firearm that it's dangerous, like, is it? Is it really dangerous if you know what you're doing? It seems like you can control a lot of no. what's dangerous and not dangerous about a firearm. And then it becomes, well, bad people can have guns and bad things can happen. That is true. But does that mean that good people can't have them? Like, that seems to be right. a weird sort of an argument. 
No, I, I was trained with guns. You know, I went hunting with my dad, and, and in high school, <laughs> the Marine Corps uh, had a, a gun club that we joined, and, and we'd go out and shoot uh, thirty caliber machine guns and Browning automatics and stuff like that. But we learned gun safety. We, we learned a lot about it. Yeah, people are just, we have a very detached society. And I have a friend, no names will be named, who um, gets mad at Ugg boots because they're made out of sheepskin. And he thinks that's fucked up that they take these sheeps and they skin them and they make boots out of them. Like, why the fuck would you wear that? Meanwhile, he eats meat. Yeah. He wears a his, belt. His, car, his, <laughs> his fucking car has leather seats. Like, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's so bizarre. He's not even vegetarian. Like, it, but the, this this the draw the line at these sheepskin boots. Like, this is fucked up. They're using the sheepskin. Like, okay. Well, you're getting into hunting now, and and yeah. you know you're you're uh, talk about with deer hunting. I mean, it's culling a herd. If somebody's just going to die in the forest anyhow, and why not you eat them rather than the wolf eat them or something? Yeah, you're gonna. You're not. I mean, deer don't live forever. They die. They they don't last very long. They either freeze to death. That happens a lot. And then the place where I went, Montana, they they freeze a lot, or they get killed by predators. Mm-hmm. But they never reach old age. It just doesn't happen. There's no old age for a deer. It's and like, if you live in some place that that deers are a problem, or deer are a problem, <laughs> you want to shoot them if you even if you're not against hunting because they can be a real problem. We don't re- think of them as rats, no. but a rat is just an animal. And a rat is just an animal that has infiltrated entire mm-hmm. cities and, and entire you know population right. areas where they know people are, they know there's a food source, and they've infiltrated. The deer are the exact same way. And the idea that, well, you know, it's our fault. We came to where the deer are. Actually, there's more deer today than there was in 1492 right. when Columbus didn't land here. There's, there's more deer today than have been ever, ever in, in, in the recorded history of this country. Right. And that's just because of land management and because also there's very few predators. And so the only way they get killed is by people killing them. And there's a lot of areas where there's just too much space. You can't kill them all. Like, go through, like, rural Pennsylvania. My God. They're everywhere. Upstate New York. Insane how many deer We lived out are. in Long Island for a while doing a house-sitting job. And they were all over the place All over there. the place. They're, they literally uh, Ashland, are like Oregon squirrels. has a serious deer problem, you know? Well, people don't understand, well, what would be the problem? The problem is, first of all, car accidents. A, mm-hmm. a huge amount of people get in car accidents with deer. And deer can go through your windshield oh. and kill you. The, whole, the antlers can, they've killed people before. Not just once. It's happened many times. And God forbid you live in an area that has fucking moose. Because oh. <laughs> that will kill you. Oh, yeah. That will land on well, you A lot of people die car. with just deer, though. Yes, they did, do. Did you ever hear that, that funny 911 call? with the guy that hit a deer, put it in his back seat, and then the deer bit him. And <laughs> he, he escaped. He was in a phone booth, and the dog had smelled the blood, and it was kept him in the phone booth. Oh, and, oh it's hilarious. a hilarious it's that's a hilarious. phone call, yeah. No, I never heard that one, but I did hear the one where the cops um, <laughs> took someone's pot and made <laughs> I, pot brownies. I know what you mean. <laughs> and then We're they dying. Ca- they called the cops <laughs> on themselves. <laughs> they were saying they're dying, and he was like, could you please hurry up? Time's going really, really slow. <laughs> As someone who's been there before and has been like, you know, like way too high on a cookie yeah. going, shit, I fucked up, man. I know what it must have been like. And there is g- proof it makes you stupid. Yeah, yeah, it, well, <laughs> it can. It twists your reality. Yeah, that's I a good I don't think call. they knew, I don't think they knew like what they were getting into. People who don't understand, it's, it's, it's actually kind of ironic because if you look at the, uh, the idea behind it is, I mean... I, I, I just don't think they understand that when you 
keep something illegal, you restrict the information that gets out. When you restrict the information that gets out, a lot of misinformation gets out, a lot of confusion. And it actually is worse for people. That's where this eating pot Mm -hmm. comes into place because they don't understand that when you eat pot, it gets processed by your liver and it produces something called 11-hydroxy metabolite, which is four to five times more psychoactive than THC. It's a completely different psychedelic experience. And so they eat it, and they think someone poisoned them, or they think that right. someone laced it. Laced it is, I've heard laced yeah. a bunch of times. Like, this is just, this is laced, man. Someone laced this, because they're freaking out. Like, yeah. oh my God, we're going to die. They someone haven't been that this. stoned before, yeah. They've never been that stoned before. I think I'm having an overdose, and so is my wife, he says. <laughs> I'm pot. <laughs> You'd be the first ever, buddy. Well, you know, the other thing about eating it is we all have such a different metabolism. Mm, you know, some people absolutely. will start coming on in an hour and a half, two hours. For me, it takes almost three and a half hours to come on. So you have to be careful in that time and not lose your patience and say, well, I didn't have enough. And then you eat another part, and then... Uh, yeah. Too much. And it doesn't, you know, it really, it, it, it depends on many, many, many factors. And that's an, another issue with the illegality of it is you're not getting the same sort of standardized dosage you get mm-hmm. if you ordered Tylenol or you ordered a vitamin C right. capsule or something like that. You're getting this, you know, you're getting weirdness. And unless you know the guy who makes the product that you use, right. you're just guessing. It's not worth it. Stay sober. Don't shit your pants. Well, there's a lot of really in-depth research going on with cannabis uh, oils and things like that. Uh, We know one scientist that's doing some amazing things with it and and working with cancer patients and all that. You know, there's there's so much information about being an anti-aging and anti-cancer. And I mean, we're talking about intensive studies, thousands of them. Right. That uh, show all of the benefits of it. And that's not even mentioning the hemp benefit, which is is even more important, really, when you think about the forests and what the hemp could do. Yeah. It's um, it, it's a weird time where we have all this information about, you know, what could be beneficial for our society, how much money could be generated by having legal cannabis, how much tax dollars would be generated just in sales tax alone. It would be pretty substantial. And that these transactions mm-hmm. are still going on today. They're going, I mean, there might be an increase in, in pot use if pot were made legal. There probably mm-hmm. would be an increase. But the reality is if you just got what we have today, what people are doing, where people are doing it illegally – and made it legal, you would the the states and the cities would get a, a tremendous amount of money. Right. But see, they're getting money through the war on drugs. I'd only found out recently three quarters of all the arrests are pot possession, primarily three mm. quarters. And so three quarters of all the money that's going into the war on drugs. Think of all the drug testing goes on. They're not testing for LSD; they're p- testing for pot. And yes, that's a big industry. The prison industry is such a big industry. That's why they're fighting it. Because prison guard unions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I heard prison guard unions lobby against making drugs illegal, well, you <laughs> know, drugs legal rather. Partnership for a drug-free America. And I think that's uh, Seagram's and a few other liquor companies are the ones that fund that. It used to be pharmaceutical companies. Oh, probably. Yeah, yeah. they they had a big part of it as well. Actually, I think pharmaceuticals, alcohol, tobacco, and pharmaceutical yeah. companies were the the primary. Uh, the the drug pushers are. <laughs> <laughs> the way I described it was that them doing commercials against pot was like hookers doing commercials against strippers. <laughs> it's like that's a good analogy. That's, a, that that's really yeah, what I'll it's use like. that one. Yeah, it's so stupid. It just doesn't make any sense. Like, how can you have a partnership for a drug-free America that's sponsored by drugs? Right. Like, drugs give them millions of dollars, not just a couple of bucks, not just drugs. Going, Look, I like what you're doing about pot. We disagree about alcohol and tobacco. I think they're awesome products and great for mm-hmm. humanity. So I'm going to send you some money. <laughs> alcohol and tobacco are giving drugs a bad name. That's just so ridiculous. We're just in a weird time. We're in a really, really weird time mm-hmm. in, in human history where, again, we have so much information, and yet there's so much contradictory 
behavior going on, contradictory to the evidence that's in place, contradictory to logic or contradictory to reason. Like, why are you arresting somebody for a plant ever? What, right. does, it, does anybody get hurt by this? Then stop. Stop. What, what do you do? What, what, you're a cop for who? For the corporations? You're supposed to be a cop to protect the people, enforce the law and protect mm -hmm. the people, and the law should protect the people. So the idea is, well, cops are only supposed to enforce the law. They're not here to protect the people. Well, the laws that don't protect people are fucking stupid, and you don't protect people by locking them in jail because they have plants on them. That's just dumb. Exactly. So and we got other shit to do. You know, this is a good, good place to put out uh, the item about jury nullification. You know, uh, I don't, people don't realize this, but uh, it used to be part of the judge's instruction to a jury that if you don't find this law appropriate, you can find the person not guilty. And they don't, you know, they keep that. Now, if you hand out a literature, a piece of literature about that at a courthouse, you'll get arrested. They won't let you say it. But it's still the law, jury nullification. And, and I've actually been in one case where I did this as a juror. That, in fact, if I'm ever on any kind of a pot case, unless there was violence, you know, that'll look different. But if it's just a simple possession case, I don't care what the facts are and what the judge says. You can still say not guilty, and there is nothing that can be done about it. Wow. And people need to know that. I mean, there's a big jury nullification uh, movement on the web you can find out about. But it's hard to uh, get your head around because, you know, people hear the judge's instruction and they say, oh, I had to find him guilty. No, you don't. Yeah, it should all be legal. It's really simple. We should hire people to study it, use the government funds that you would orm normally spend on law enforcement, use those in a better way to hire people to study what are the actual effects of this stuff, and inform people, not by basis of your prejudice in one way or another or what your biased opinion would be one way, but the actual facts. Like, here's the facts. It might fuck up your memory. It seems <laughs> like when you get high, it messes with your short-term memory. You might get tongue-tied. You might get locked up if you know how to do. Here, here's the negatives. The, here's the cons. Right. Smoking something in general, probably not the best thing for you. Eating it, you might freak the fuck out and jump off a building. I mean, eating is a little scary. You could, <laughs> you could have some nightmares. You have to know what you're doing. Yeah, show people what it is. Well, vaporizer, probably a really good move as far as health-wise, probably the safest bet. Here's what happens. Here's what a good dose is. Here's what happens when you have half that dose. Here's what happens when you have a quarter of that mm -hmm. dose. Knock yourself out. Do what you want to do, but no one's going to die. And that would be that simple. Yeah. And then start taxing the shit out of it. And my goodness, would we have money. We would have money for everything. If we started making marijuana legal and have a high tax, shit, let's make the tax 10%. Well, it's 25% in. in Colorado now. Perfect. Or Denver, something like I that. I love yeah. Colorado. Colorado is always on the ball. They're always <laughs> ahead of everybody. They're, they're animals. They're living up there with bears and shit. Yeah, that altitude helps them out. <laughs> you know, they don't have the oppression of they're all the They're just awesome. That's just an awesome state. It's just all around awesome. Colorado's one of my all-time favorite states. Now, you lived there for a while, right? Yeah. Yeah, that 25% is a smart move because I don't mind paying. If I have to pay four bucks for a joint or whatever it is and I'm paying a dollar, you know, I don't mind that. Yeah, it, it I don't mind 25%. still is probably going to be less expensive than the black market. You know, but and, and it'll be fine. Like, yeah. look, marijuana is not that expensive. When you think about what alcohol costs, if yeah. you go to a bar and try to have a few drinks, mm -hmm. look, if you grow your own pot, it's right. cheap as fuck. But if you buy it, it's really not that expensive for how much it you use. Yeah, and if you use a vaporizer, you can get about three or four to one on the thing, you know? Yeah, and look, in comparison to so many other things that are really expensive, it's kind of silly oh. to talk about it. Yeah. And that's now, while it's, you know, fairly illegal. See, you know, pot, I can see that they're, the war on drugs is making money off of it. Psychedelics, I think it's because they're afraid you, you might start your thinking. You know, that, uh, I, you know, before I used MDMA, I was an a Irish Catholic Republican lawyer. Well, and afterwards, I was still Irish, 
<laughs> and everything else went away. <laughs> wow, that's what a weird. How long did that transition take? Was it from the first hit you took? You knew something was up. I think it took from the night that I ingested it until the next morning, sometime. And, you know, all of a sudden, I realized a whole. I just had a real awakening, and I, I felt like I did when I was a young boy. You know that I, I've had. I've helped a lot of people on their first trips, and almost invariably they say the same thing. Well, I've felt like this before. I mean, you don't go crazy or anything, and it and it's really not a psychedelic, and and so you know it's a gentle way to get in, and it's so good for therapy. You know, Michael and Annie Midoffer in the uh, in South Carolina are now I think entering the second phase of an MDMA test, but it was so the first phase one was t- uh, treating uh, rape victims with serious PTSD, and they had a an amazing uh, amount of recovery, um, actual recovery. One woman hadn't left a house in 15 years, and now she's got a job, and I think something like that. But the Pentagon has now approved this study for post-traumatic stress disorder, and they're looking at uh, some other studies with the Pentagon, because uh, PTSD is such a huge problem. And MDMA, see, here's why the drug companies don't want it. What Michael and Annie uh, do, I think they only do maybe two sessions with MDMA. It's psych- uh, you know, they're psychiatrists uh, assisted and, and guided and all psychoanalysts or, uh, I don't know, maybe not that high a, a level, but uh, there's a lot of counseling goes on with it. And see, when you take MDMA, it, it lowers so many barriers that, that you and your therapist can really talk honestly. And they have had, like, spec- the phase one study is just to prove it won't kill somebody. And still, they had some amazing recoveries. And now, Phase two, they want to do the extended therapy with the thing. But see, the drug companies don't like it because you only need one or two pills ever. <laughs> and then you're done. You don't keep taking it. Yeah. They want things that they can keep you taking. It's interesting because it seems like they would be able to make some money using that stuff. If you could, and, but, they, you know, there's going to be abuse with that. There's, there's abuse with MDMA for sure. Oh. Ravers, you know, people are dying because they get dehydrated and dance, you know, they're And, and most of it's up. because it's adulterated. You know, it's not pure MDMA. Right. And, and, you what, know, what do they cut it with? I don't know. Uh, I think all kinds of things. And, and it could just be impurities in their processes. But uh, uh, probably some sort, you know, it's, it is an amphetamine. And so they probably cut it with a little speed so you can feel something. Mm. But, uh, you know, originally back in, in the early days when we were getting it, it, it was either in cap form and a lot of it was in powder. But it was pure MDMA. And, of course, we, we knew the source and stuff like that. But today, you know, there used to be a, a group called Dance Safe, and I don't think they're active anymore because they were the government was shutting them down. But they were doing free drug testing at raves uh, to tell you if you had oh, pure why MDMA. Why they shut not. that down? That's so rude and, and short-sighted. They, they thought it was encouraging drug use. Oh my god! But instead, it's it was so saving dumb. lives. It's saving lives. Yeah. How could you, that's such an illogical stance to take? Yeah. You should never put something in your mouth that you got from somebody you don't know. That's a good good thing to say, except if you want to put your penis in someone's mouth. Well, and you barely know them. I, you know, I've never had anybody stranger that <laughs> do that for me. <laughs> I've always gotten to know them at least for a half I'm just, hour. <laughs> I'm not saying that it's going to happen. No. I'm just saying you should always leave that option oh, out okay. of the table. Okay, yeah, I, I'll you know, go along with that. Especially if you're on ecstasy. <laughs> Think about well, it. Well, you know what? In <laughs> Dallas, we some of our customers there were some swinger clubs in Dallas, and Whoa. so we would sell it to these clubs because you can you can have an erection for hours on wow. it. Wow! But you can't come. Oh, and so the swingers goodness. clubs loved it. Bunch but of sore I, people. I come out here to the West Coast, and the word is, oh, you're going to have a third-day letdown hangover, and, and you, you can't have sex on it. And, and 
I thought, wow, that's a completely different story. And everybody bought into it out here. But in ah. Dallas, it was a totally different story. Nobody was having that third, second, third day blahs or anything. So in Dallas, you were getting pure MDMA. Right. And here they're getting this amphetamine well, I don't know if any mixture. place is getting it pure unless you really don't you know know the chemist but it was a better yeah it, it was it was it. definitely pure and you know that it was legal at that time there was no reason to cut it and you know it was uh, do you remember when 5-MeO DMT was legal and you could buy it oh, online yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you could buy like a coffee cup full of it online and get the whole world I know. high <laughs> I know. it was like $30 I know some people that have <laughs> yeah that's what I heard I heard you know I heard you th- know things yeah <laughs> it's weird what, what's still legal like salvia is legal in a lot of places yeah still yeah and then they have this bath salts issue which is really nutty they take a compound like crystal meth they they alter it so it becomes a different new compound that's not categorized then they say not for human consumption sell it as bath salts but everybody knows you're right. that you're supposed to smoke it because it's like crack or meth or whatever the hell it is and they can't do anything about it yeah it's amazing uh, there's been something like uh I don't want to use the number because I don't have it in front of me, but close to maybe 70 new compounds that have been introduced in England this year. Whoa, England knows how to party. <laughs> well, what worldwide is probably higher. It might only be 20. It might have been 70 last year and 20. <laughs> but there are, there, there's just no way to stop these things coming now. What are you doing in England? Why are you going crazy? Well, they, look, 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 if you had to live there, you'd have to do something to it. <laughs> it's raining right now. It's snowing right now. Yeah, it gets a and, little and dreary. By the way, there's a bunch of people in England uh, watching us right now live. Oh, I, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I love England. I was just in Manchester. just did two shows. Oh, really? The, Manchester. Yeah, Dance House Theater. It's awesome. It's just fun. I love England. I like the people there. Oh, I, they're I think great. As audience members, they're amazing. They're uh, some of the best audience members you ever get. They're polite. They listen. They get things. They understand where you're going with stuff. Yeah. You know, they, 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 well, they they're get sharp. Subtlety. They know what's going on. Yeah. Well, I think, I, I don't know what it is. I mean, is it, is, are they more educated in England? Is their school system's system? definitely better, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That, that even not the private schools, but their their public schools are even better. You know. That is the the one thing that irks me the most oh, about here. society is that there's such a, a a minimal amount of finances that are dedicated towards school systems. Oh. The minimum they're always trying to cut the school budget. They're always cutting things. They should be pouring money into the public education system, pouring money into community centers. Pouring money into anything that benefits young people, that and, and they're makes cutting young people the worst grow. things like music and art and, and sports. Yeah. They're cutting wrestling in a lot of places. Sure. You know, it's it makes me sick because people need these things, and it's greedy old people that had these things when they were younger right. that are deciding deciding that these are the things that should be cut. Those things should be uncutable. It should be right. like, look, here's your budget. You need to spend $100 million on the school systems. After that, you can do whatever the fuck you want as far as cleaning the streets right. up and doing all that. But number one, you need to do this because this is what's going to take care of everything. I'll go this along is, with that. This is what's going to make the people that are babies become cool adults. Mm-hmm. And if you don't get that right, the whole society scrapped. The whole generation's gone. The, the whole generation has to figure it out for themselves. And there's that, that attitude of pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And, you know, I yeah. figured it out. You should figure it out, too. Like, man, if you did figure it out, then you should know how goddamn hard it is to figure out. And you should yeah. also know this is not the only way to do it. 
this is a silly way to do it, to have unmotivated teachers that get paid $25,000 a year. I mean, how can you feed yourself? How can you, how can you expect these people who you're entrusting to educate your children to be motivated when they can barely eat? Right. And, and you know, some of our best teachers are just so amazing because they're working in the inner city yeah. voluntarily. They could yeah. go other places, some of them junior college and all, but they're, they're, I, I have one friend who worked in the inner city in San Francisco for a while, another one here in L.A., and they were amazing men, and they just, you know, they did it because they wanted to help these kids. Well, that's a beautiful th- notion. It's beautiful when you meet people like that, and it's beautiful that they still exist. It's just sad that corporations have controlled the political process to the point where when a person gets into power, when a person becomes president, they they, they never have a chance to do a real overhaul. You never really are like the one person who's in control. Right. You have a million people that you owe that got you into that position that you have to pay back or do their bidding or meet their interests before you do anything. Right. And so that's that's what you know, that's where all these different laws come from that are so confusing and don't make any sense to people. We've got to figure out a way to govern people by actually governing people. It's like we accept that there's gonna be so much so much bullshit and so much corruption and so much thievery and so many slanted ideas. We just accept that there's going to be a certain amount of that because it's always been that way. Mm -hmm. And if you looked at that, you know, looked at like a lot of the decisions that get made at the highest levels of government and like who they benefit, you would say this could never happen. This could never happen if we all had the right attitude. This can only happen when money gets involved. This can only happen when someone puts money ahead of humanity. And that's like the the real core part of our society that's fucked up is education. I mean, education, not just in the small sense of teaching people that don't know how to read how to read, but teaching people who are brilliant how to think about life. Exactly. Not just how to count and how to, you know, calculate the dates of fossils that you find, but how to think about humans, how to engage with each other, how to look at this temporary existence in a correct way. Well, you know, corporations set a lot of the agenda for schools as far as the cur- uh, curriculum, things like that, because yeah. they're looking to, to get, you know, passive little cubicle workers. And <laughs> see, that was one of the lessons that the power elite learned in the 60s. You know, it, it was all these young kids got educated because their parents got educated from the GI Bill, and, and uh, now we're educating these kids, and they're getting too smart for us. And I think they've intentionally been dumbing down the school system. How do they do that, though? Just by well, underfunding it? By, well, look at Texas. Uh, the school books in Texas are teaching creationism, and they're trying to get evolution out of the textbooks completely. Right, but you don't think that that's because they're dumb, right? They're just oh, doing no, that that's, because that's their, their religion. I mean, but, not, but the, not that they're dumb. But that they're dumbs, down, to make it dumbs down dumb. the people, though. But I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. You don't think that they're doing that because they're trying to make people dumb. There, uh, there are people using those people to do that, I think. I think the corporations want people who aren't really thinking out of the box too much. They can get those from the elite private schools. But isn't there like always going to be like a large base of fundamental people in places like Texas that they could just they could capitalize on by by, you know, leaning as far as like their decision making towards them because they know that that's going to aid them to get into office? Well, yeah. And of course, I'm pretty cynical about that. I think the voting is pretty rigged anyhow with electronic voting. But uh, Well, it certainly has been shown yeah. to be. In, in Tex- Texas, be. you know, I practiced law in Texas and lived there for a while and it's it's a pretty uh, Bible kind of yeah. very fundamentalist. Oh yeah, I was yeah I was doing some jokes last time I was in Houston. <laughs> My friend said this girl walked to the bathroom and said, "If he talks about Jesus one more time, we are out of here." <laughs> I 
bar- I, mean, I barely talked about Jesus. It was... uh, then let me throw out a title of a book, uh, Caesar's Messiah, a, a book that's out that uh, talks about uh, Jesus, Jesus actually being fictional. It's a pretty interesting book. Yeah, I read uh, a thing about that. Uh, would you like something to drink? Yeah, I got it here. You got some? Did you want some coffee? There's uh, coffee no, that keep me awake all day. Oh, how dare you? That's right. You told me already. Sorry. Um, I, I, yeah, I read a summary of that online where they were talking about this uh, new study that said that Jesus may have been created and they found new documents that suggest he was. Either way, yeah, th- this it, is it, what I always It doesn't say. matter. I don't know if Jesus was real or if Jesus was artificial. My point is it doesn't make sense that he died and came back to life three days later. And as long as you believe that, we have a problem. We've got a problem. Right. We have a disconnect in communication. We have a why would that be real? We have that. We have why, what happened there? He turned water into wine. Were you there when this happened? Do you know how dumb people are? Do you know how much people lie? You do. Hmm. Did you imagine what that must have been like back when people couldn't even write shit down? And it was 50 years after the yeah. so-called event that somebody wrote it down for the first time. Of course. Too. And so. way later than that, that Constantine and a bunch of bishops decided what goes in the book and what doesn't. Right. You know, when they wrote the New Testament, I'm like, holy Jesus. Like, they left stuff out. They added stuff. They, there's so many different people's sure. fingerprints on that. Yeah. It's just nonsense. Well, it's about control. They yeah. can control the people. But the idea also that this is absolutely not saying that there's no God. If you've done psychedelics, I think you've realized after a certain amount of those quote-unquote breakthrough experiences, I think you realize that you have no idea what's going on in this other realm. Whatever these other realms are, whether they're individually different, whether they're all connected, whether they're just frequencies on a dial, whether it's 5-MeO, whether it's DMT, whether it's psilocybin, whatever these realms are that you enter into, they're so fantastic and special and strange and beyond description that the idea of God does not seem nearly as ridiculous once you've had them. There's a video of me out there in an interview they did where I told the stories about oh, ex- hitting the street in Dallas. And uh, I mentioned about the fact when I got to, to at one point in my life in Florida, I decided I was going to be an atheist. I really wanted to get rid of everything. And so I was trying really hard to be an atheist, but I had this friend living on the edge of town with a farm, and he'd get mushrooms from the cow patties in his cow, cow yard and bring them into me. So I'd be an atheist during the week, and then I'd eat these mushrooms on Saturday. <laughs> you can't be an atheist with five grams of dried mushrooms in your stomach. Well, you can't be sure. No. That's the real problem is that you can't be sure. And my problem with religion is that when people are sure about something that they've never seen, never experienced, you're sure because you read it, or you're sure because <laughs> someone told it to you, you're sure because it's your tradition. Mm-hmm. Like, you got to tell me why you're sure. If you're sure because it's some demonstrable science, okay, I got it. But if you're sure just because you're sure that God wants you to throw rocks at homosexuals because you right. saw that written down somewhere, like, wow, that doesn't make sense. Why wouldn't he tell us now? Why, why, how come God only tells one person? Like, doesn't God know that game, the game of telephone? Doesn't he know <laughs> that game? He must know that, that game. He made everything. He's got to know that game sucks. So why would you tell one person like a few thousand years right. ago? Why wouldn't you tell us all the time? Well, when somebody asks me if I believe in God, I just say, okay, define what you mean by the word God. Right. And we really never get much past that because people, a few people say, well, old man with long white beard sitting on a, on a throne. I said, well, no, I don't believe in that. See, that's where I differ from you. Oh, really? Yeah, because the shit I've seen on mushrooms are way weirder than a guy <laughs> living in the clouds. You know, I've seen things on DMT that made a guy in the clouds with a harp and well, a bunch of people around him with, with bird wings. That wasn't even weird. No, I, I agree with that. 
So I'm, why I'm not? In the, I'm same. I'm just you know the old uh, Catholic image of the the guy on the throne with the white beard. It could be. This is why because life is so stupid and contradictory and weird and humans are so bizarre and so hypocritical and so strange and self-destructive and our acts collectively make no sense to the individual and yet we all feel helpless in the momentum of the united species and it's it's movement whether it's the polluting of the ocean or the fucking up of the ozone layer and shit flying around space slamming into each other because we got so many things floating around above our earth <laughs> whatever it is it's it's so bizarre and contradictory and crazy that it almost seems like the work of a madman. Right. It almost seems like the work of a god. Like, just <laughs> one crazy motherfucker that's designed to control this planet. On Maybe. an acid trip. <laughs> He's just a crazy asshole. He's like anybody else that gets into a position of power. He gets, his fucking head gets big, he gets crazy, starts ordering people around, starts doing nutty shit. Like, if you eat that apple, everyone's fucked. That's it. Right. I said it, you did it, it's over. Done. <laughs> but all of humanity forever has to suffer? Yeah. Yes. Sorry. Because <laughs> I said up. so, yeah. And the only way to fix that is you got to get a guy who's his son to sacrifice his life. Like, what? Come on. You know, we, we get all wrapped up in the affairs of the world, but <laughs> you, you've had intense dreams. You wake up and, and they only last for a few moments. You can't hold on to some of these dreams. I have a feeling that when we die, it could be just like that. You say, God, I, I, I felt like I was on a planet earth or something and I, I can't remember and you don't remember a damn thing about all this stuff we went through it's certainly possible sure I mean, there's there's thoughts we that, don't know yeah you live an infinite life that's interconnected one life to another and that's one of the reasons why you meet someone and they're an old soul yeah or you meet someone and they're particularly fortunate like why is this guy particularly fortunate why, they, why, is, why are people drawn to them like initially from the mm -hmm. get-go maybe this is things that they figured out in past existences that we're not calculating in this existence right. maybe you have a certain amount of work that you can do in in this existence, but you're basically still riding on the momentum of a, of a fucking an eon of different lives right. that you've lived over and over and over well, again. One of the things we can do in this life that I don't know whether or not we can do it in another life, but as a with a with a human body, there's a lot of physical pleasure that you can experience. And I think that part of what we should be doing here is having some physical pleasure and not just getting into the spiritual world. Sounds all the time. like someone's starting a cult. <laughs> no. I know how you do it, pal. <laughs> I know how you psychedelic people think. <laughs> or a commune, or maybe like a new, a new situation. No, actually, I'm a hermit. I, I seldom leave my cave. Really? Yeah. Are you a hermit? You oh, seem like much. a very personable guy. Yeah, I, well, I can be, but I save it all up for a rare occasion. <laughs> 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 that's funny. You're personable <laughs> in small doses, right? The, you know that that's actually there's a there's a reality to that that you uh, the overwhelming amounts of people. If mm -hmm. you're around overwhelming amounts of people, you could be like overstimulated. Right. Some people believe that the result of living in cities and living in high population areas is like this this same thing that you're experiencing when you see people getting into road rage. Right. Same thing you see experiencing when you pe see people fly off the handle at counter help or whatever. It's just like they're just overworked. There's just too much stimulation yeah. and you just need to sit by yourself, right. watch a little TV, read a book, relax. You need to be out in nature going for a walk where you don't exactly. feel anything or hear anything. You just see squirrels and Play birds. Play with a couple little shit. kids, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's, that's, we just don't feel like we need that because we're so trapped in this momentum of accomplishment. Mm -hmm. It's constantly pushing forward. But was, not realizing that we don't we're, we don't stay here forever. You only get right. a certain amount of time. Well, I've I've quit doing uh, conferences and workshops because afterwards people come up and they ask me all these questions that are so deep. I don't really quite understand the questions, you know. And 
I'm not, I, I'm a carnival barker. That's mm-hmm. my role. All <laughs> the action's in the tent, and you're in the center ring yourself in the main tent. But I just, I like to point to a lot of things, and I go broad, but I don't go very deep. And so I can't answer questions, and these people want me to solve their life problems, and I don't even understand what they're asking me. So I've just quit making appearances. Well, there's always going to be people that want you to figure it out for them. Yeah. There's always going to be people that don't just want to discuss things that mm-hmm. people have said, which is absolutely fascinating, but they want you to help them. It's a very selfish point of view, yeah. and it's, it's very common. And I'm just not up to it. That's not what I do. I don't think anybody is, quite yeah. honestly, and, and especially if you go up to them and ask them for advice. Hey, I need your advice. Like, man, listen, what you need to do is you need to look at your own life and figure mm-hmm. out what you're doing and why. If you want to talk about, like, specific things, like, in order for someone to give you advice, like, should I marry this girl? Like, oh, my God, where do we begin? You know, I'm going to have to, like, if you wanted me to give an honest answer if you should should get married to someone, I would have to see you guys interact for, like, weeks. I'd have to, like, get to know you individually. I would have to, to to really say that, yes, you should sign a legal contract where you give up 50% of all your earnings (laughs) to one person. Yeah, go do it, dude. And then if it doesn't work out, you're going to get mad at me? Like, I've I've, people, like, I'm thinking about taking ecstasy. What do you think? I, I don't know. I don't know you, man. You, Have you started in the library? Yeah. That's where you go Fuck first. Yeah. <laughs> go to Arrowhead. The idea that you would be able to tell someone what to do or not to do or what it... Right. Like, you're asking too many weird questions. We should, we should, you should be doing is figuring it out for yourself. That's mm-hmm. a big part of life. And then surrounding yourself with people that you meet, that right. you, you become friends with, and you can share they ideas and experience with, them, yeah. with. Yeah, you can't just run up to Lorenzo and ask him to solve your problems. Get your shit in order. He's <laughs> yeah, not, I've got a, a friend in, crew. in Houston who's a lawyer friend of mine. Actually, we were in the Navy together, too, and he has a big brass plaque on the front of his desk that says, frankly, I'd rather not get involved. <laughs> <laughs> so you know you're going to pay top dollar with him. Well, there's people that just want to drag you into their world, and you don't want to be in their world. And it's like, listen, you, know, you, you had your own break, and people helped you. Like, are you sure about that? Because there definitely wasn't this. It wasn't running up to people and telling them to fix my life. Right. You know, but there's a lot of that going on out there. And unfortunately, it all goes down to the same issue. People that haven't been explained how to think to. They haven't been instructed on what's the most productive way to think. Mm-hmm. What's the best way to... And I don't mean by think, by form your own opinions or creatively or anything. I mean manage your consciousness. What's the best way to manage how you look at yourself in relation right. to the people around you? And if you're being too goddamn needy... You're ruining it for everybody. Yeah, exactly. If it's always about you, 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 me, 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 that might be why you're in that situation in the first place. Because <laughs> nobody wants to fucking help you, and no one's helped you up to now. You're exhausting. Yeah, you know, I used to be on the motivational speaker uh, circuit for a while. And, really? uh, and we had all these pat things. When you point at somebody, you got three fingers pointing back at yourself. The other one is uh, you can walk through a room full of people laying on the floor and give your hand to each one and help them to their feet. But you let one of them climb on your back. And you're going to be down on the floor with them. And so that's, that's the, what you're saying. Don't get involved in helping people. You just tell them what you can help them with, some ideas that they got to work on themselves, but you can't solve their problems. It's, yeah, it's not that I don't get involved with helping people. It's that people have to realize that I you meant taking as an their burden on, yeah. Yeah, you as an individual have your own unique burden. Mm-hmm. If you want to uh, learn things, if you want to figure, then you got to start doing research. You got to start reading books. You got to start mm-hmm. communicating. But going up to someone like you and saying, "Hey, I need you to fix my life. You know, what do I do?" Like, I don't know what the fuck you do. <laughs> exactly. I barely know what the fuck I do. <laughs> like, come on, man. You got to find somebody else. And the the other problem is I, the, what I found is that people who are needy they never recover. 
If you keep them in your life, God damn it, they're needy 10 years later. Yeah. Like, hey, man, we've gotten 10 years, and you're still a goddamn wreck. Like, why, 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 why haven't you not figured exactly. this out yet? You asked me for advice 10 goddamn years ago. We spent a lot of time talking about shit, and now 10 years later, you're doing the same thing. Same thing. You're sucking me into a world of, of bullshit. Mm-hmm. You're just trapping me like a little vortex. And being honest like that's probably the best thing you can do for them. No, then they hate you and talk <laughs> shit about you online under fake names. <laughs> that's what they do. They hide. They get fake accounts. Yeah, just turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just, you know... Life is beautiful when everybody's trying to do their part. But life becomes a real pain in the ass when no one wants to do the dishes. You know? <laughs> I like that. If you live in a house with a bunch of people and no one yeah. does the dishes, it becomes that, hey, what the fuck are we doing? Right. Everybody get together here. Let's come on. I did the dishes last night. There's ten of them in here today. Well, I, it wasn't my food. I didn't eat that. You know, you get into that yeah. kind of nonsense. Well, then you get a shitty communication system. You got a shitty commune. You got a shitty yeah, culture. It just goes downhill from there. Yeah, I mean that's that's what our our, our real issue is. A real issue is that there's too many people out there that, that, that not just want attention, but demand it mm-hmm. for nothing. Right. You know, it's not that, you That's know. That's who they become. People like want to, st- hey man, I got to get you to listen to my CD. Do you know what that would be like if the whole world, you know, had someone, if, if it was like five billion people that wanted you to listen to their CD? Would you ever have time for anything else? It's like email right now. We don't even know each other. Why am I listening to your <laughs> I CD? I think, do you think you could help me? Do you think it really I could help you by listening to your CD? I'm not a music producer. Like, what the fuck are you doing, man? There's, there's, there's not that much time in the world. I can't help everybody. You know, if you have something that's interesting, send a link. You know, if, if someone wants to, to help you, that it'll it'll spread virally. Right. Put something online. Two people will find it. They'll send it to four. And then it gets going from there. I mean, that's the only way today. And, and there's way they can do it. They've got YouTube and, and places yeah. they can put their music, you know? And it, that's the only issue that I ever have in communicating with people is that sometimes people get exhausting. I want you to read the script. Do you know how long that takes? I don't even know you, man. <laughs> I'm going to read your script. I get people wanting me to read their books all the time. And, you know, I just, I'm, I've got books I need to read. It's flattering, right? It's flattering. Oh, it is, yeah. But I would never do that. I would never send someone a book and say, I want you to read this and then critique it for me. I'm not that needy. I well, think that's a needy thing. The other reason I don't do it besides the time is, you know, first of all, I'm not sure I know what they're talking about. I'm not sure I know the subject. But then what if I don't like it? Yeah. You know, I, I, you know, I don't want to just say, hey, this really sucks. Yeah, I've had that happen before. People have sent me stand-up before. Mm-hmm. review this and then get back to oh. me like oh christ son <laughs> you know i i i thought during my bachelor stoner days i i want to do stand-up about the time you're doing news radio and and uh, i i thought i was really funny and i worked for weeks and weeks to get like a five minute so you were in routine. your 50s when you <laughs> were yeah wow your and bachelor stoner I, days in your 50s i couldn't even get my girlfriend to laugh at more than one or two of the jokes and i thought you know there's no way i'm going to an open mic with this Either that or you need a new girlfriend well <laughs> I, that happened too but uh, it wasn't her <laughs> fault it wasn't her fault but that's hard work to do that i i really admire you guys you know it's that. hard work when it's not going well that's when it's hard work. It's hard work when you're trying to come up with new material. That it's hard work. Well, you know, I, when it's working, it's not hard. I, I, although I love music, I always think comedy is just a step above because laughing actually can heal you. And so, <laughs> I've I've learned more comedians through your show. And and one time I heard you say something like, "You thought Joey Diaz was the funniest guy alive." And so, the next morning, I, and I usually listen to your podcast at the gym. You know, it, it makes the gym time goes faster. And I came home from the gym and I got YouTube and I looked at Joy Diaz channel 
And six o'clock that night, I got stoned right then. At six o'clock that night, I'd seen almost all of Joey Diaz. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it all yet, but he he hits the tone with me. He he and uh, Mark uh, Marin, a couple of those guys, really uh, are in the same groove I'm in. And so I just you know I just can get get go get lost to Joey that. Diaz is an animal. He's an animal. And he seems to do, you know, ad-lib riffs a lot, yeah. too. Oh, it's you know? all ad-libbing. His best stuff is ad-libbing. Yeah. When he, the best thing that I ever saw, the funniest thing I ever saw, was Joey Diaz on the Alex Jones show. It was me and Joey Diaz and Alex Jones. And Alex wants to talk conspiracies, and <laughs> Joey hates that shit. He doesn't want to talk about UFOs or chemtrails. Get the fuck out of here with your bullshit. So he just hijacked the whole show. Did you see that? No, is it up on YouTube? Yes. I've got to see that we'll, we'll pull it up. Jamie, pull it up. Oh, it's Joey Diaz on the Alex Jones show. And he went on this rant for like a couple minutes towards the end when he left the podcast. And I could, I literally couldn't breathe. My <laughs> face was beat red. I've got to see He that. was just killing it. And Alex Jones tried to jump in and he fucking, <laughs> he stops him from jumping in, just gets louder and crazier. And he, to the point, he'd be one of the few people who could stop Alex Jones, I bet. Oh, Alex Jones had no idea what, here, turn they're just better at covering up what they did. Did they kill they Michael do. Jackson? Did not, no, I don't know. Look at the movie. He was dancing and singing, and next you know he's dying of oxygen. No, not, not right. A junkie's a junkie's a junkie. He's a junkie every day. He doesn't wake up, sing, and dance, and then he has oxygen tanks at night. Something's not right there. And in my case, like old school, <laughs> you're worth more dead than what you are alive. You understand me? He ain't and now they got a new record coming out. He ain't in debt no more. He's doing a tour next year with the people from uh, Vegas that jump up and down the Blue Band group, whatever the hell that is. I mean, He's worth more now than he's ever been. I think Paul McCartney killed Michael Jackson. If it was up to me, me knowing what I know, I smoke another joint, I'll break it down. I'll break it down because he bought the music from Paul McCartney, didn't want to give it back to him. And all of a sudden, they, they put Paul McCartney in the Super Bowl. They tried to build up the Beatles to get their thing going. And all of a sudden, Michael Jackson. That's right, Michael Jackson. circling the building right now. We've gotten confirmation. I have the documents right here. Obama and the elite, it's a strategy. Keep going. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Keep giving it. Give me some Diaz here talking. Go. I, I would do you, but would do you. No, Alex isn't even talking. Yeah, he will. Why are you bringing up this problem? No, but not only. <laughs> why are you pissing in my crazy. pool for? You know what I'm saying? I'm sorry. No, but I'm saying. No, I love you. But I'm saying you're a character, too, on no, top of it. This is, this is we're talking about. He's way more funny. I know, I know, I know. You don't want to talk about yourself. Okay, well, let's get back to a free country. Let's get so off Michael the, Chinese. We need Joey Diaz so we can point the finger and say, there's the bad man. What is our. What is our motto to, you know how we say the N-word? What do the Chinese say about us? You know how they call us? They call us uh, gulai, whatever that word is. You know what that means? Round eye. White ghost. We are white fucking ghosts. That's what we are. We're here to destroy the fucking world. Trust me, I'm telling you. But at the same time, we're built. They call us that. Guaylo. That's what they call us. White ghosts. They call black people something else, but it's also a black ghost. I don't know if it's Guaylo. It goes in that thing. But that's the point, man. These, it's not people like me and you that are going to hurt this world. It's the suits. It's the fucking bankers. It's that fucking guy that locked people up and now is in prison. This is all like giving money to conspiracy. He, go go to the very end of it when he goes crazy. There's a, there's a like a real short clip is what I thought we were going to play. I, I just this is actually the whole thing, isn't it? This is the whole time he was on. Yes, eight minutes of it. Yeah. Good. This is it. This is it. Baggy clothes on. They didn't know I lost. This is great. They said, we're going to put you through the x-ray machine. I'm standing there sweating bullets. 
with this baggie under my fucking oh, left nut. Oh, that's enough. Stop. The left nut's bigger than the right nut because I'm a righty. Stop. <laughs> People don't know that. I thought I had cancer for a couple right. weeks. You know, the opposite hand is it's always like bigger Satan than the left. He's talking about carrying weed <laughs> under his balls <laughs> going to the airport. Look at this weed stinking. You're like Rodney Dangerfield. Listen, stop fucking Rodney. I had this weed that was stinking up a storm, not to mention my balls. I'm sweating now because I'm going to go to jail tonight. And all of a sudden the guy goes, he's clear. And he shook my hand. I'm like, my taxpayers are hard at work. How smart are you to your politician who's talking to you like a Christian, he's lying. So, do you follow what I'm saying to you? No, I know. We're talking about yeah, naked well, body scanners. We're talking about children right. being that's molested by TSA. Country, We're talking. We will listen to a politician with the same story every four years with that sorry ass line of shit. But these fucking <laughs> momos will get offended because I say the word fuck. That's why no. you're around. FEMA camps and the Americans too stupid to understand what's in front of them. Forget about the curse words. At least the kid's not fucking lying. So next time you listen to your bullshit congressman or your bullshit governor or even a bullshit president, somebody who's running for president, and he's hitting you with that same four shit that they give you every four fucking years, and you still vote for the fucking Momo, and then you get mad, think about me saying the word fuck. With that, I'm out of here. I gotta go smoke a cigar. Uh, hey, hold on a minute. We gotta he's say making some here, very solid points. Don't do the, uh, don't, yeah, no, I know, I, Joey, you, you get it. I'm with you, but this is just to let the American public know that every four years they buy the same shit they've been buying every four years and the same people with their Harvard articulation and how they don't curse and they're Christians and they have a family and these are the same people that shove it up your fucking ass every year. The one thing that you get about... This is not the video. There's, a, there's an end to it where he goes crazy and says, check yourself before you wreck yourself. It's like... Hold on, hold on one second. Here it is. Take a shuttle. Joey Here Diaz, Facebook, Twitter, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Big dicks in your ass. Oh, get, out your out. Uh, get out of here. You're in trouble. <laughs> you know, I, so I love that guy because he says what I'm thinking, but he says it so much better. <laughs> well, he's so crazy. He's oh. so fun. He's so entertaining. He's just a maniac. It's fun having maniacs for friends. <laughs> just gives you a different perspective on things. You realize, oh, that's a way to live, too. You know? <laughs> Exactly. There's, no. There's a lot of us that are different. Yeah, he's just uh, he's he's one of a kind, and and I hadn't heard of him until I heard him on your show, and now I'm I'm a huge fan. Yeah, well, the internet has really been very kind to Joey Diaz because people, you know, it was very hard for a guy like that to show you what he can do without the internet. You mm -hmm. can't do that on a radio show where you just go off and right. go crazy. His comedy, it's very hard to see on regular TV unless it's Showtime or HBO. Mm -hmm. So there, he was in a lot of, he was in a weird category. And then the internet came along and podcasting came along and then people just got to see who this uh, well, really... I'm glad he's, he's uh, riding high now. Yeah, yeah, finally. It's he, like it's, He deserves it. Yeah, well, without a doubt. It's the, the you know the internet is just sort of catching up to to I mean they're expo there's so many things that get exposed because of the internet that, I mean your podcast would, would never be on a radio oh, show no. how could you ever have that on late night radio you know there's no way they would ever play that it would be impossible no there's no way well if you you know coast to coast or something I know Terrence yeah, was on close. there a lot but you know it's it's not you know it's too too long too yeah. late stuff like that and yours i mean yours is very specifically pro drug too oh, i mean yeah. that would be a real issue for sponsors <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it would be <laughs> i mean every now and then art bell would have mckenna on they would discuss psilocybin mm -hmm. the stone ape theory and what have mm -hmm. you and it would be very fascinating but the amount of just raw information over and over and over again talking about talking in a positive way about psychedelic experiences like there's never been anything like your show and, and if you think about it you know they they don't talk about 
doing the drugs as much as about what they they think about the thoughts that come back. You know, yeah. the show really would be called philosophy. But you know, can you imagine having you know hundreds of thousands of young people listening to a philosophy podcast? But that's the category it's in. It is if you stop and think about it. Like most philosophical people, if you call yourself a philosopher, they're they're blowhards. Yeah, you know, they're people who pontificate and philosophy without the drugs sucks. It's very rare that it's right. It's yeah. often overbearing, often self-centered, often not self-aware, not objective and introspective. It's missing an element. And that's a terrible yeah. thing to say. But I think that without control of the ego, it's very difficult to get philosophy right. Right. It's dev- very difficult to have y- unique ideas that are that ex- express like the 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 the, the way that people. When when someone wants to express a profound thought to you, if someone wants to express some sort of a life-changing idea that they've come upon and realized themselves, mm-hmm. it's very difficult to do that sincerely right? without coming off like a blowhard and an asshole. There's something about expressing yourself in ways that it seems like when people are trying to make profound statements, they're not just trying to make profound statements. They're also trying to sound awesome. Mm-hmm. They're also trying to impress people with their capturing of the English language and their their use of prose. But when someone like says something like McKenna or someone says something like, um, there, I mean, there's been a million people that have said brilliant things. Alan Watts is another one. They, they, they've said something that just really rings true in an honest and unique way. It's it's a little bit more than psych than than just philosophy. It's a little bit more than just psychedelic. It's like a combination of the two that sparks an, a conversation. Period. It it sparks thinking. It's like it's a, a seed of an mm-hmm. idea that gets planted, and when you hear it, or especially when you watch it, which is one of the beautiful things about these user created YouTube videos, they're so visually stunning. They draw mm-hmm. you in right. in that form as well. The music they attach to them, and then the actual words themselves. It's like the combination of them is so mm-hmm. entertaining, captivating, and inspiring that it becomes something way bigger than just philosophy. Right. It becomes philosophy that's effective. Becomes philosophy that may actually change the way mm-hmm. you think. It's very difficult to go to a philosophy class, right? And then change your way of life. Dull. Yeah. Sometimes it's boring and dull, but sometimes they just talk too much and they don't say anything interesting. Like that's a big part of what people like when they like podcasts. Like a guy like Joey Diaz, per se, or a guy like Duncan Trussell. They're entertaining people. Mm-hmm. It's not just that they're saying cool shit. They're entertaining right. people. And when you're not entertaining and you're just saying shit, you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. You're missing a big percentage of what makes people listen to you. Right. And retain it. And retain it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that is the medium of the fireside chat. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's where it came from. So one person would, you know, or several people would, you know, share stories. But when you learned how to do it correctly... It became exciting for the people that were engaged in it, and it became, uh, you know, an educational experience as well as an entertaining experience. Well, that's that's the way we we started doing MDMA in Dallas back in the yeah. '80s. Is is uh, either a couple or maybe three couples at most, and we'd all take it. We'd get together with our spouse or our significant other for a while, 
And then we'd get, get together in the last several hours, we'd just be talking. And it would be, you know, philosophical, life-changing. And, hey, I noticed you doing this. See, it lowers your bar- – it's like, like lowering your fear barrier where you can say something to somebody and know you're not going to hurt their feelings. Yeah. And so you, the truth serum comes out. And you can talk to your friends and your spouse or whatever and, and say, you know, this has been bothering me lately. Well, you know, I thought maybe it was. You know, it, it's really a, a healing proposition that you do for yourselves and each other. Yeah, I had a conversation with a friend when I did ecstasy with him where he's asking me why I wouldn't lend him money to start his business. <laughs> it was like ordinarily I would have avoided that conversation like the plague. Well, because I want to stay your friend. Yeah, <laughs> you can't like, you shit, can't do listen, that to friends. It never works. I'm not a no. bank. There's banks. Banks are there for a reason. Nobody ever pays their friends back. No, they just. I mean, I don't. Shouldn't say nobody. Maybe, but you know, when somebody borrows twenty five grand from you, most likely that shit's gone. You know, when I started my computer company, uh, the guy that was my mentor. He loaned me. He loaned me. <laughs> he loaned me some money. To I need my I need business. To, I need to get home and have a toke. Uh, <laughs> he uh, he loaned me some money to start the business, and then years later, before I, I'd paid him back about half of it, and then we went upside down. And uh, I was really upset about it, and it wasn't a lot of money. I owed him about you know, seven thousand dollars. I guess it was a lot to me, and I was lamenting the fact that you know I couldn't pay him, but I would eventually. He says no. He says. And he he had a big tugboat business, and he said, when I started this business uh, 25 years ago, my wife's father-in-law or father loaned me the money, and uh, that business went broke, and two others went broke, and he died before I could pay him back. So that's his money. You've got to find somebody to pay that to in the future, but not me. Well, that's a very cool guy. He was. He was an amazing guy. That's a very cool guy, and it's very cool that you wanted to pay him back, that you're making attempts to pay him back. It's it's brutal, though. I've had uh, several friends... Um, that have uh, lost friendships because they oh, loaned yeah. somebody money, and this one friend, boy, it 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 drove him crazy. Like he would talk about it. Like this guy would come over his house, and this mm. guy would hang out with him, and the guy would never bring up the fact mm. that he owed him all this money, and you know, and it would drive him crazy. And he would be like, "Look, man, I'm going to pay you when I can pay you," you know, and be like, but he would find out the guy just bought a new this or a new yeah. that, and he'd be like, "What? This is," and so it became like a big part of his life. It became like this thing because this guy like was a friend and he didn't want to lose his friendship, but he realized that the friendship was now all of a sudden this like really negative thing where he was mm. constantly thinking, "Hey, I fucking pulled out money out of my account, I lent it to you, and you have no intentions of fucking paying me back because I don't do anything about right. it because I don't threaten you, I can't repossess your car, I can't do anything that a bank can do." It's it's a fascinating thing when you you see people that just they don't go all the way with stuff. Like, they promise things, they don't follow through. They get an idea in their head, and then they just fucking shut down and, and never finish it. You know, well, I'm going to start this business, and but within, let me tell you something, within six months, I'm going to pay you back with 25% interest. <laughs> it's impossible to lose. And then six months later, what happened? Man, you're not going to believe this. Right. We got fucked by our manufacturer, yeah. this and that, so I'm out of business. So I don't know what you want to do. What do I want to do? You owe me a lot of money, man. Yeah. Hey, look, you knew going in here, this would be a, I took I took a loss. Like, oh, Jesus Christ. And there you go. Right. People can't pay you back. I mean, it happens over and over and over again. There's a lot of people out there, just like when you were talking about people that need people to help them. You know, like people coming up to you, hey, man, help me. This is it. Hey, man, you just got to let me some money. Like, there's other ways. You know, there's other ways. I guarantee you the best way is not borrowing money from your friends. There's got to be a better way than that. You need right. to figure out how to get some of that fucking money on your own. It's not like we're in a totally closed system where it's impossible to get a job. It may be difficult. I understand. But other people have figured it out. Right. It might be possible for you to figure it out. It's just not like something like holding your breath underwater for an hour. It seems like it can be done. 
It's like, you know. Do you ever have people come up to you and say, hey, make me laugh? No. Tell, really? Because what I was thinking Tell me of, a joke. Are, are your that. kids old enough for Nemo yet? Yes. Yeah, so the, the little clownfish. Oh, you're clownfish. Yes. Make me laugh. Make me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, no, I mean, people have said, like, it's worth, the worst thing is when you're doing an interview. And, like, uh, if you, like, do a radio or something like that, radio interview, and uh, they go, give us an example of your material. Oh. I'm like, oh, Christ. <laughs> you got 15 minutes? Yeah. <laughs> well, no. It's like, you can't just Yeah, you can't just do a cold a start. Yeah. Like, it's stupid. It's gross. It's like this inept, inept interviewing. I had a friend that was a, a drummer, and we were in an after-hours club down in Kima, Texas, and, and my mentor actually got him, uh, wanted him to play the, the drums in this band, and he didn't want to, he didn't want to, and he said, no, I'm here to party. And finally my, my friend bribes the band, gives him some money, and Tim gets on the drums, and, and he's just kind of playing a little bit, and all of a sudden the guitarist says, okay, take it. And he hits the drum one time, bang! He gets up and he says, you take it back now. <laughs> ah, that that's was it. funny. Yeah. Oh, man. It's, uh, I think uh, one of the things about psychedelics that really aids people is they get a chance to see how annoying they can be. You know, um, I've, I've met people that have changed a lot of their behavior and have apologized to friends and stuff for being an asshole or doing whatever oh. just because of psychedelic trips. I, I, I won't trip with anybody anymore. <laughs> yeah, you do it by yourself? I, yeah, I've, I've had so many, and I don't do hardly any psychedelics anymore. You know, I'm, I start worrying about my heart now and all that. Right. But, you know, uh, uh, ayahuasca is different. You know, if I was, if I had, you know, I had cancer years ago. If I had a recurrence, I'd I'd go down to the jungle and spend a couple of weeks. But uh, you think that can fix you when you do that? I think ayahuasca can fix anything. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a huge believer, wow. and it's 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 a miracle. So, you know, it it has changed my life more than anything else I've ever done. Wow, that's strong word. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, it is pretty awesome, isn't it? It's another thing that we pretty sweet if it was here it was legal we had ayahuasca centers where people could yeah you know it's a... it's it's uh in such a weird state because it is legal with some of the churches now but uh the you know it took me i was actively searching for it for about 10 years until all of a sudden i found it and and uh that's happened to so many people when you don't find it until you're ready for it and then mm. it finds you and uh you know i've had had you know a lot of amazing experiences on it some difficult ones but that all, all in all, there it gives me more positive feeling about this life and any other potential life than mm. I've ever had. It's, uh, but it's very earth-centered. You know, I, I heard you talking to Graham Hancock about how everybody gets ecological on it, and you know, whereas acid is more mechanical. You know, you can do all kinds of problems and code and write right, and stuff right. like that. And mushrooms are pretty mystical, but ayahuasca is earth-centered. You know, it's it's an earth spirit that you're uh, playing or engaged with, and uh, and it, it can be uh, frightening and scary, but, you know, amazing things have happened to me. I, I try not to think too much about what happens after death because I'm close enough. I'm going to find out sooner than I want to. But, uh, and, and at times I, I say, well, there's nothing there. And other times I say there's something there. But uh, as it happened, four days after my mother died, I had an ayahuasca uh, experience with the circle that I've been with for quite a while. And I didn't tell anybody. That I that my mother had just died before the ceremony. I didn't tell. I didn't want to bum people out or anything. And occasionally, the Iowa's Carol will call individual people up to the front for a healing or something. And this night, he happened to call me, and I go up to the front, and and it was amazing. You know, my mother. I actually saw the, the an image, a huge image of my mother floating over us back then. Well, the next morning, you know, we all stay in the same room and sleep on the floor at night. And the next morning, we have a breakfast together, and then we go around the circle and talk. Three different people said. Who was that spirit that appeared over your head when you're up there? 
And that just really freaked me out because I thought, well, I'm imagining it. I'm making up my head or whatever. Three other people sensed in some regard that that there was a spirit there. And I said, well, I think it was my mother. She just died. Is that possible that it's also both? Oh, it could be. You know, I, I was thinking about it. I could have projected it into yeah. the, uh, you know, there's no question about, you know, I, I don't buy one way or the other. I'm open-ended on it. Mm. So all I know is that was a, a very moving experience for me. And then other people saw something happen. Now, maybe they were just feeling the vibration of what I was going through. Perfectly I wonder, um, I wonder if you could, I mean, I don't understand exactly what's going on when you're having any sort of a psychedelic experience, but I would imagine that if you are both in the same mindset, like if you and the person who's also on mm-hmm. ayahuasca is in the room and you're all in the same sort of psychedelic mindset, there's got to be some sort of an exchange of of, of information that's coming from your head to their heads. I mean, that's why they wanted to call it telepathy. Telepathy, yeah. Yeah, before they discovered that it was already named and it was called harmine. I, w- I have a friend that had some really, uh, really demonstrable uh, experiment like that that happened to him. And so uh, with he and another person who were thinking the same thing at the same time, what having the same vision. Oh, what'd they do? What was it? Uh, they, they had a, uh, this one guy's in one corner of the room and he's thinking uh, he was having some uh, UFO experience where there was a spaceship and and well, uh, he was thinking about getting on the spaceship. And just as he's thinking it, the guy on the other side of the room says, hey, don't forget there's only room for 10 people. Well, <laughs> you know, they're opposite sides of the room, quiet and stuff. Like yeah, that, so. I've heard people have really like uh, unique visuals that everyone mm-hmm. in the room had. And I always wonder if maybe you can conjure up something with your imagination or with your focus, your ideas. You can conjure up sort of a psychic image in your mind. And because everybody's tuned into this thing, mm-hmm. they see it in their hallucinogenic imagination as well. Definitely possible. It's possible, right? And, I know. and yet on the most intense experience I ever had. Uh, I, I was really, I'd never had an experience as transformative this, as this in ayahuasca, and, and I can't even quite describe it, but I was shocked the next morning that the world hadn't ended and everybody had experienced this. Nobody in the room was even <laughs> close to this, and, and I'd had the most transformative experience of my life, and to them, it was just another night. You know, they... Yeah, that's the weirdest thing about doing DMT, that you're sitting on a couch, and outside your house, nothing's changed. Mm-hmm. But inside your head, a Ooh. whirlwind of possibilities have opened. And you've all of a sudden seen a world that couldn't possibly have ever existed even in your imagination just a few minutes right. before. Even in your imagination is a strong statement, but it's absolutely mm-hmm. true. If, once you do DMT, if you've never done it and you have a breakthrough experience, the one thing that everybody always says is, I never saw that coming. Right. I never would imagine yeah. that that was possible. Yeah, it's 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 pretty awesome some of the things that do happen, but uh, you know whether they're happening in your head or somewhere else, it's just hard to say. But there, there's or both or both. Yeah, at ayahuasca. You know, there's. I think a lot of what happens is what your intention is going in. Yeah. And uh, you know, I had had one ex- one experience where I wanted to get rid of my fear. I was really, you know, <laughs> I couldn't watch the fear factor because it was just so <laughs> made me fearful. Uh, <laughs> I'm a wimp, yeah. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm making the wah wah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so I decided I, that was the night I wanted to get rid of fear, and and you know, you fasted. From watching Fear Factor, you decided you wanted. To no, get no, rid of? no, in ayahuasca, it was oh. my intention that night. <laughs> no, it wasn't Fear Factor. <laughs> I'd never go on it, but. Uh, the, the, so uh, you, you you fast the day before. And right. I, I'd been fasting since around 8 in the morning. Only had a few sips of water. So there's nothing in my stomach. 
sometimes you, you purge, you vomit, and sometimes you don't. The first half dozen times I did it, I did not vomit. And, and, and you get disappointed once you, once you get into the purging, then you, you realize it's like being inside a fireworks display. It's really spectacular. It sounds gross. But really? So as oh. you're throwing up, it's amazing? Oh, it's amazing. It's, it just amps wow. the whole experience up. It's close to an orgasm. Whoa. <laughs> not, not, not real close, but it's, that, that's what it'll bring to mind. So wow. anyhow, uh, you sit there, and, and all of a sudden, a little voice will come in your head and say, grab your bucket, because you sit with an empty bucket. And I say, grab your bucket. And whenever I hear that little voice, I grab my bucket, because I know I'm going to You get excited <laughs> to throw up. Not, at, well, not the first few times, but after a <laughs> while, I, I got into it. And, <laughs> and it said, grab your bucket. And it said, we're getting rid of your fear tonight. And so I start wow. purging and purging and purging. And I said, oh. Wow, I finally got rid of Oh, no, you got more to go. And I purged for maybe 45 minutes. And the next morning when I go to empty the bucket, there's a couple inches of black crap in this bucket. You know, and I didn't have hardly anything in my stomach. And, and according to the way the shamans speak, is you're, it's psychic energy you're purging. And so I really had a visual pouring my fear down the toilet in the morning. Damn, I would have saved that shit and sent it to a lab. <laughs> Could you imagine if they isolated a new compound? I never fear, thought of that. And it actually comes Anti-fear. out of your body, and they find <laughs> oh, that fear is actually something that exists in your body and can be removed. Jeez, I wish I thought of that. What I don't are, know what lab what, I'd send it to. What was it? Maybe they find out it's just like spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> you have some old spaghetti It's in just there. indigestion. It's not fear. <laughs> yeah, it's the years when you were smoking cigarettes. Yeah. It's left some stuff on the walls. Yeah. Left some, some cigarette graffiti. That's uh, fascinating. You should have taken pictures of it or something. Well, you know, at the time, you don't really think of those things. Could it, is it possible that it was just all the ayahuasca you drank? You drank two inches no. of ayahuasca? Oh, no. <laughs> you only drink a little shot glass. A little glass shot full. glass. Yeah. So uh, how was it two inches of liquid? What was in there? Was it just bile? What it, was in it your was, stomach? It was, it was not real thick. It was just bile, I guess. And it looked black. What did it smell like? Puke. Puke. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you should have taken a picture of that. That sounds like pretty intense stuff. And then once it, is it possible that you were still high when you saw two inches of? Uh... Yes. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I love that you answered yeah, that, that. That was awesome. Yeah, I, you know, you, you know, see, so you 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 take you drink it about eight eight o'clock at night or so. Right. And then by two in the morning, three in the morning, you're you're. Most of the people are down to base, back to baseline. Sometimes you say, oh, yeah, I'm back to baseline. You find you can't stand up. But uh, then you sleep on the floor there and get up in the morning. By the next morning, you're, you're pretty much back to baseline as far as the chemical, but you're still in the thrall of the thing, and, and uh, you know, you're, you're somewhere else. Right. So, yeah, it might have been uh, two millimeters. <laughs> <laughs> but either way, there was something but, in there. Yeah, I'm not going to change my memory of it, though. Yes, that's yeah. a good idea. Just hang on to it. That's how Jesus got started. <laughs> <laughs> Write it down in about a year. Yeah, he lasted and for a while. Tell so it to good. a bunch of people. Let it get crazier and crazier every time you tell it. Right. And then a few years later, <laughs> write it down. But write it down in like metaphors. Right. Write it down in Latin. Yeah, in parables and you know. Zuspek verus. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a guy in. Uh, there's a scholar in uh, Jerusalem that uh, in uh, in Israel uh, who wants to. Um, 
he he's trying to push the idea that Moses was on psychedelics when he found the uh, the tablets, mm. and that the burning bush was actually the acacia bush, which is rich in DMT, and that's why it's burning. Like in burning the bush, he saw God. He's trying to say that this what this meant was they burnt the the contents of this plant. You're just getting many 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 translations right. from ancient Hebrew to Latin to Greek. The fact that to this day in ancient Hebrew, there's a lot of dispute about what things mean in the first place. Like. For folks who don't know, ancient Hebrew didn't have, they didn't have numbers. So letters doubled as numbers. So the letter A was also the number one. Right. So words had numerical value, like the word love and the word God have the same numerical value. It's, it's a really strange system that we lost the context of all these magical mm-hmm. sort of definitions of things and descriptions of things because there was mathematical qualities to these words that we to this to this day we, we it's, it's such a unique way of looking at things in comparison to how we look at things today we look at words mm-hmm. and then we look at mathematics as being completely separate they had it all kind of combined together in some sort of a weird ancient language right that doesn't exist anymore mm-hmm. so when people try to translate it it like and then you go from that to latin and greek and and you know i mean it's it's gone it's all weird now right so when these guys are trying to go back and look at these original descriptions, they say, well, one burning bush might very well be the acacia bush. It makes sense. It's Could prominent be. in the area. And if they had figured out a way to get DMT from this bush... They had figured out a way to do some kind of a process and extract it. That could be how they described mm-hmm. it. And that was one of the things that Mark, John Marco Allegro had said about the Bible. When they had studied the Dead Sea Scrolls mm-hmm. and he wrote that book, The, uh, the Sacred Mushroom and the Cross, mm-hmm. he was saying that they were trying to hide these things from the Romans when they were captured. Right. When people were originally writing these things down. And what they really were were descriptions of psychedelic mushroom consumption and of fertility cults, mm-hmm. and that they hid all these st- in stories and in parables because they wanted to keep the information, but they didn't want other people to be able to access right. it. So by by the way, I, I heard you mention that book before, and you said you got an old copy, but you know, I've got a couple old uh, Jan Urban has yes. republished it, so it's yes. still a bit you can get it on Amazon. Yeah, now. it's yeah. it's a very cool that he's done that. Yeah, you can get it now. Mm-hmm. When I bought it, I bought it many many years ago because of Jack Herrer. Uh, Jan introduced yeah. me to Jack Herrer, and Jack Herrer was working on a book. Uh, with this uh, other guy who turned out to be a pedophile. They mm. wound up murdered in jail or something like that. Really crazy stuff. But they were working on this book about uh, Santa Claus and the connection between uh, Santa Claus and the Amanita muscaria mushroom. Mm-hmm. And the right. connection. Yeah, I've read all that. that was, yeah. yeah, that was basically all his work. And then it was the mm. connection between psilocybin mushrooms and religious experiences. And mm-hmm. Jack Harrow had all these old images, like oh, wow. really old images of ancient paintings that showed naked people dancing under this translucent mushroom. And that there was there was their way of yeah. describing being under the ecstasy. Oh, of under, yeah, yeah. And then he showed me all these different religious um, uh, religious institutions and buildings and places that had mushroom shaped doorways and had mushroom iconography and then mushrooms all over the place that so you didn't even think of mm-hmm. were mushrooms, like the way a cardinal's co- you know outfit is red and white and the whole like you see like saying like what they're right. si- signifying is mushrooms. Saying, yeah. The ancient images of halos. You've seen those, oh, right? right? Right. The ancient images of halos is a mushroom cap. I mean, it is a mushroom cap. It, it literally yeah, I've is. I've seen a lot of those old images. The, the, in the first century, the, the so-called Christian churches had a lot of mushrooms in them. Yeah. They, in didn't, their art. they didn't have that, that hula hoop no. thing floating above their head. They had this thing behind them, which a showed cap. this mushroom <laughs> yeah. cap. I mean, with literally all the lines right. from underneath right. the cap. Pull, pull up images if you can. There's a, an article where I linked to it. It was uh, Santa Claus was a mushroom. 
Uh, it was a, a ro- I wrote it in like 2007 for my website. It's on JoeRogan.net. And um, I put in it a bunch of photographs, uh, a couple of them of ancient uh, people that had mushroom caps for, for yeah. their for their. Uh, yeah, it's only about the last few thousand years that this has been suppressed. But, you know, it, it was pretty active psychedelic uh, in the ancient times. It's amazing that this is all true. This sounds like nonsense. Right. I mean, this sounds like some flat earth shit. Like when you hear, if you don't know any better mm-hmm. and you're, you know, you listening to you and I talk about this, like, wait a minute, what am I going to But it's well documented. Yeah. There's a lot, <laughs> a lot of, of documentation about it. There's a lot of information that shows that there was, you know, not just the, the Christian religion, but many, many, right. many, many, many religions were aware sure. of psychedelic mushrooms. Here, Jamie's uh, going to pull up this. Uh, did you find it yet? Um, the, 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 uh, the images like that Jack Harris showed me were really unique and I haven't been able to locate him since he was in the middle of a book before he had a stroke. Right. That's a shame. Yeah. It was really sad. He had, I, I'd met him and then he had a, he had a stroke and then he had a second stroke as well. I met him, I believe after the first one he was cause he was having difficulty talking then, but it wasn't as bad. And then apparently he had a, a bad one and, but they were in the middle of uh, creating this book and his, you know, he his story was fascinating because Jack Herrer, like you, was a Republican. He was a Goldwater Republican, as he describes it. And then he uh, got divorced, met a girl, smoked some pot with her. <laughs> and the world opened up. Do, 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 do. Well, you know, a lot do, of the, the UFO uh, thing may be a DMT release. Uh, about 10 or 12 years ago, I corresponded with Whit- Whitney Stryber because in one of his books, he had said something that to me sounded just like a DMT trip. And, mm. and he allowed his, hey, that might be possible. And then uh, about a year or so later, he did a radio show with uh, Strassman that you were in his movie, uh, yes. Spirit Molecule. And uh, he, he, they, the two agreed that this could, uh, some of the uh, abduction experiences could be a spontaneous release of DMT. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, why, when you think about it, why are all these experiences where people are getting abducted all happening in the middle of the night? Mm -hmm. And that's when your brain is producing the most DMT, allegedly. I mean, they know for a fact now, that's been proven by the Cottonwood Research work that Strassman's done, Mm -hmm. Cottonwood Research Foundation. They found DMT in a live rat's pineal gland. Mm. They found that recently. Wow. So they know for a fact that the, the, the pineal gland is a source that's, of DMT. That's the first I've heard that of real research, because that's been yeah. speculated on, but nobody really tinned it down. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'll, I'll pull up the article, because it's pretty interesting. Found in live rat's pineal gland. It's, um, I mean, it's one thing that they've always pointed to it. There's mm-hmm. a lot of anecdotal evidence, the, yeah. especially the ancient... Um, the ancient religious work of the third eye mm-hmm. itself being right, this right. The, symbol the, of mysticism, yeah. much like the mushroom cap being the, yeah. the, the halo. But we're just now getting back, and, and unfortunately we've lost so much information that humans had at one time about these substances. But I think part of the uh, transition that took place was, you know, the, the rites of Eleusis uh, were, you know, so many thousands of people went through that. That lasted for a couple thousand years, but in about 300 B.C., the state took over control of the rights. And once the government took over control, things changed. This is the article on the cottonwoodresearch.org website, which is uh, Strassman's foundation. It says, we're excited to announce the acceptance of, for publication of a paper documenting the presence of DMT in the pineal gland of live rodents. The paper will appear in the journal Biomedical chromatography and describes experiments that took place in Dr. Gimo Bor... Wow, this guy's a weird name. B-O-R-G-I-G-I... J-I-G-I-N. 
B-O-R-J-I-G-I-N. How do you say that? Dot me. Or does a J and a G together. Bitch, what are you trying to do to people? <laughs> Why the fuck would you put a J and a G together? One or the other, you greedy bitch. They're both G sounds. Pick one. Pick like, one. What is that saying? See the, the, those images? Do you see the one up there? That's oh, there it. it is, yeah. I mean, that is about as clear as day. That's the bottom of a goddamn yeah, you mushroom. Yeah, where the spores would come out. Well, there's one. Don't go to YouTube. There's one on my it's website. Not, it's not, I can't get to it. It's not there? Uh, Did you Google it? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hmm. What the fuck happened? So have you ever seen a machine elf or a self-transforming basketball? No. I haven't either. But yeah. you know what I finally figured out? Those self-transforming basketballs... I figured out I'm seeing the same thing, but I wouldn't call it that. I'd call it something else. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's, that's why I never describe what I see, because then you plant that seed in somebody's head. And uh, Terrence did plant the seed of the self-transforming machine elves and the basketballs, uh, jeweled basketballs. And I think that if you get rid of those words, those labels, you'll see things that you could say, well, I could say that, but I'd rather say this about it. So... Uh, a lot of people get disappointed when they smoke DMT and they, they don't see the machine elves and the basketballs. Yeah, I don't know what that means, the machine elves and the basketballs and all that stuff. Is is my my website down or something like that? It was linking back to the new podcast site for some reason. Oh, so the links are bad? Is that what it is? Maybe. No way, really? Hmm. Okay, well, I found it in two seconds. If you go to WordPress, you can still find it, but the images yeah, aren't the there problem. anymore. I found that didn't have any images, which is what I was looking for. So. <sighs> i got to get these guys to fix my website. That's bullshit. That, although that stuff should be up there with photographs. Not up there? None of it's up there? Oh, great. Not, not that way, at least. It's somewhere else. How dare they? Um, but I, I think it's probably pretty obvious that if you're dealing with people that lived a long time ago, and we know for a fact that these substances existed a long time mm-hmm. ago. They've been here forever. So people would have found them, they would have ate them, they would have freaked out, and they would have told everybody or right. tried to tell people that they cared about or just like we information, do. just like yeah. we do. I mean, it's without a doubt, it's got to be like one of the most powerful things that can happen to a person outside yeah. of dying. Yeah. Outside of having, having children, dying, losing a loved one, what have you, one of the most powerful things and experiences that you can have is a psychedelic it, one. It shouldn't be missed. Whether you never have a second one or not, you should at least have one. Yeah, it's uh well it's just amazing that it's illegal still. Yeah. It's, it's amazing that they've been able to hold on this long. With everything that we know now about what is legal, like we talked about before, cigarettes. Like criminy. What are you trying to do? Are you trying to keep everybody weak? <laughs> this is what you know, if I was inclined to believe that, that's there's the evidence right there. If I was inclined to believe that they are trying to keep people stupid and weak, that's Well, I I buy into Terrence's uh, theory that nobody's in charge. You know, there's a bunch of competing groups that have a lot of power, but not any one of them is in charge calling the shots. And most of them are pretty stupid people. That You know, we think some of these people are maybe smart because they have money or something. Most of them inherited it or they got it as a derivatives trader or something. But most people in Congress and politics and no matter who you meet, you know, they're like you and I. We're all, this, yeah. all you know, some of them have experience in these jobs, but we shouldn't give them all this credence of being knowing all. No, and it's, they live a life that's, that's the momentum of what they've done in the past and what their ancestors mm-hmm. have done and how they've gotten to this position because of their family name and the business that they grew up in and what have right. you. It's just a momentous thing. And once the family controls a certain amount, whether it's the World Bank or whether it's whatever the fuck, mm-hmm. you know, your corporation your, your family owns, once someone has that kind of power and control, they're not very, it's not very likely that they're going to be willing to 
let that go. And, and they to, bring their children up in that same mode. Yes. You know, they're, they're going to private schools or meeting the same friends who are from the same kind of families. And so it's it's a inbreeding kind of thing. It's one of the problems with capitalism. But mm-hmm. it's, I also think it's one of the yins and the yangs of life and one of the reasons why there's so much motivation for people to get things together today. Mm-hmm. It's because we see so much evil and corruption and hypocrisy. We see it, so we get motivated. Well, the, the Internet's changed everything. Yeah. We, we can see things without going through a corporate censor now, too. Yeah, that's never happened before. It's uh, and I think people are way more informed now because of that. Oh, oh, the internet's changed all the rules. You know, if the internet was around in the '60s, there would have been a different outcome. But uh, I think I think that what's going on now is going to make the '60s look like the '50s. You know that. Things I are think changing. you're right. I think slowly but surely people are waking up to the idea that we aren't the same people that we were in just 1994. Oh, we, seven years ago, there was no iPhone. <laughs> that has changed a lot of things. Yes. Apps and, you know, Twitter and mm-hmm. Facebook and all that jazz. Just the ability to get, like, I love Twitter because I get links sent to me. Like, look, check out this new scientific finding. Look at this new discovery. Mm-hmm. Check out this video. This is amazing. This guy made this and look at that. And it's like the, the amount of interesting information that comes to you directly right. on your phone mm-hmm. on a daily basis is pretty staggering. Well, you know, when we were first... Uh, trying to get the internet going in the phone companies that uh, w- there wasn't a lot of acceptance. Nobody, the banks wouldn't talk to us, the government wouldn't talk to us, but our, our company bought BBN, which uh, built the original routers and had control of about a third of the backbone. And we were watching, you know, say, oh, there's already a million people connected to the internet. Oh, there's two million. Now there's five million. And we were comparing with how fast phones ro- uh, rolled out. And it was just several orders of magnitude faster. But to get to where we are today, I don't think anybody 10 years ago would have predicted it. You know, to have a billion people connected already? Nobody saw it coming. And nobody knows what's going to be here in 10 years. Oh, yeah. It would be crazy to try to predict it. It's going to be way weirder. But, you know, and, and the iPhone and the iPad and all and wireless, you know, that when, when I was in the business, I was at the dinner afterwards. We get to – I was – representing the phone company so they'd take me out to wine and dine me and uh talking to this one guy who's uh, the president of a new combination of netflix netscape and uh sun they formed an alliance and their senior vice president was saying uh, hey you need to start uh doing more research and development in wi-fi and this was before why you know there was essentially no wireless and this is only like i don't know 14 years ago or something and I said, oh, the wireless, that's not going to work. And he says, we're putting all of our R&D money into it because we're all living up in the hills over San Jose. And there's no Internet connectivity. And by the time we retire, we want high-speed wireless Internet in our home. <laughs> that was a lot of the motivation for wow. doing that. Wow. That's interesting. <laughs> of personal interest. And, you know, one of the things people don't want to talk about, about the Internet, but since we were running part of the backbone, I could go to, you know, watch the, through the network uh, the knock, and watch them uh, manage the traffic on the backbone of the internet. And it was in, in a weekday around three thirty or four o'clock, a big spike would hit of, of uh, usage on the East Coast. <coughs> Excuse me. And as the time would go, four or five by six o'clock, the East Coast spike would go down, and the Midwest would be up. And then it was like a pig going through a python. And it was young kids coming home from school before their parents were there downloading porn. (laughs) Without porn, the the phone companies wouldn't put all that money into the the backbone because uh, it was huge business, you know. (laughs) Isn't that how it always works, though? That's how the the, the video recorder, videotape came out, you know, because people could watch porn at home. Yeah, VHS, the VHS VHS VHS. market. Remember those? I bought a beta. 
Did you really? <laughs> you were <laughs> one of those guys? Yeah. They were supposed to be better, though, weren't they? <laughs> well, the, yeah, but they you couldn't get many titles on them. <laughs> the quality was better. It was yeah, better quality. The quality was supposed you know, to be better. You, you got to go with whatever the mass-produced thing is. Do you remember those things that you used to have to go through to look at the porn? You used to have to go through beads or a, a oh, the, saloon the shops, doors. Yeah. <laughs> and you go in a little uh, cubby hole or yeah, something like I, that, yeah. You'd have to go through saloon doors in order to yeah. get to the and, porn and section. And in, in the afternoons, you could see the cars from all the salesmen's cars are parked out there, you know? <laughs> yeah, and people just you look at you so squirrely like, oh, I that yeah, I can't believe Sucks. I'm in this place, you know. What are you doing over there? <laughs> don't like, sit down in the seat. <laughs> yeah, they, people are interesting like that. They, 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 they don't want you to know that they like sex. <laughs> <laughs> or like masturbating. Like they don't want to pretend. They want to pretend <laughs> they, somehow. Yeah, that, like they never do it. That's Yeah, it's a fascinating aspect of us. We're so weird. Well, I don't think the humans have always been that way, you know. I think that's... Really? Uh, I, I, I think, you know, the last 2,000 years have been pretty repressive. What, what happened? Christianity. Largely. Really? Yeah, you know, I think organized religion. You know, the, the, the sex thing was weird because we know uh, there's a lot of sex going on in the clergy, you know, but, uh, you know, the boy, boy sex, et cetera. But I think it's been, you know, you read about the Borgia popes and stuff like that. You know, it's, it, the higher elevations of the church have always been big involved in sex, but they've been telling the people, no, no, no. Well, they used to have sex, like popes and, and priests and bishops, they used to have sex with women. Oh, it yeah. used to be, like, totally normal. They had kids, some yeah. of the popes. Yeah. yeah, but they had, they were getting so much pussy. Oh, they just got yeah. so out of control. Sure. Hey, I'm the pope. You know, who's going to say no? Exactly. <laughs> and so people are going, you know what? Listen, that's it. You can't have sex anymore. Yeah. Which is hilarious. Unless you become a priest and join our little group here and... Uh... But even then, you no, know, that, there wasn't you have an undercover sex with kids. You yeah. know, like how the idea that an undercover group of of kid fuckers could run a gigantic cult that would capture uh, like a billion people worldwide. Yeah. That no, in 2013 is in one of the most incredible facts about our our reality. Yeah. You know, I, I was uh, I was raised Catholic and uh, altar boy. I, I served mass all all through four years of college, even. And uh, did you ever get touched? Huh? Never once. Never once. Never approached. Never touched. Nobody offered you a cigarette or a drink? not a thing. Come not on, a, in Father Callahan's room for a drink. I, you know, all those four years I was an altar boy in college. I, I never went to communion because I wouldn't go to confession because I didn't want to tell him I masturbated. Ah, <laughs> but, that's funny. Uh, that, that you know, during all that time, I was never once approached. But a, a, a guy he became a priest he was a close friend of mine when he was a kid we went to boy scout camp together and all he turned out to be a pedophile priest you know it was oh. a real tragedy for the family you know we knew all these and you know they do you think that that happens just because of repression that someone has yeah. access to no sex and then when they're around kids they just almost are overwhelmed with the yeah, need to I, be touched you know you know how you are when you're 20 years old and it's mm -hmm. all you think about and if you're a, if you're repressed you know maybe go wherever the first option is and opportunity is but <sighs> i don't think he was actually molested as as a child cuz he and i went to, you know through the same priests and everything and I'm pretty sure he wasn't molested. Uh, this happened to him after he got to the seminary. Wow, that's horrible. Yeah, it's a it's, shame. It's it's even more horrible if if the actual act of making someone celibate sort of perpetrates this yeah. and turns people in some ways, you know, towards having sex with almost basically anybody they can. Celibacy is going to go away eventually. It's I to, hope so. It hasn't been here only a few hundred years. Well, anyhow. religions are going to go away too. Well, the Hopefully. the. I, 
Yeah, I mean, but this the, the the idea that people have done that throughout time is also another disturbing fact of of, of civilization. When you find out about Socrates and yeah. you know all the, they had sex with young boys on a regular basis. Well, that still happens in in some countries. I know that uh, we had a friend who told us some real what I considered horror stories that they considered sort of normal behavior. You know? Yeah, I've had friends have gone to Afghanistan and described you know what they call man love Thursdays mm-hmm. or boy love Thursdays or. I don't know how much is true and how much is not, but, you know, the idea that people have sex with young boys for pleasure and women for procreation. Right. And that this is, you know, a practice that has been in, in Something I can't societies. get my head. I can't get my head around that. Well, hopefully the Internet will expose that as well. I mean, I, I, I wonder what it would take to psychically clean us up of all our weird patterns that we're caught up in and trapped in. Regular as, as and frequent base. psychedelic experiences. That could help. And also communication. Oh. And the communication in a way that well, see, we never... I think psychedelics lubricate communications. You know, you, Certainly. You, first of all, there's a lot of things that you can't even put words around. And so you get together and you start trying to do art or music or some way to do that. And let's communicate and get a new language. Look at what all Alex Gray has done. Yeah. You know, in, in getting that uh, message out there. So... Uh, you're right. We're, we're we're look how far we've come in our lifetime. You know, it's it, we're nowhere near where I want to be. But I I've been in New Orleans when I had to uh, look at a white drinking fountain, black drinking fountain, where to sit on the streetcar, and you know that that you know segregation is still here, yeah. uh, but it's not nearly as bad as it was. It's not quite as sanctioned as it was, and. Uh, you know, women's rights are a little bit, little bit better. And, and my son was able to get married to the man he loved, you know. So we are making some social progress and uh, probably making a lot more in a short period of time than we realize. Yeah, that's where the exponential gl- growth really kicks in, mm-hmm. is in social progress. And, you know, like I've, I've made fun of a lot of like really heavy-duty lefties, uh, you know, people that are like ultra-progressive to the point of being ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But I kind of appreciate the effort because this powerful, strong effort for whatever it is. I mean, I've gotten in trouble for saying that I don't think a transgender man who became a woman should be able to fight in women's MMA. My point is from the safety of the athlete. But people have defended transgender people because of the fact that they automatically stand up for someone they feel like is being oppressed. And I appreciate that. I appreciate the idea behind that. I Mm -hmm. I appreciate the sentiment behind that. And I think that's fascinating as a culture that there are people that if you repress gay rights, they will go after you. And they, right. they, they will. Re- I think that's a good thing, whether it's misguided or not. And a lot of times it is when it comes to uh, certain aspects of progressive thinking. The, the fact that heavy duty lefty behavior exists and exists in like big groups and big organized groups, I think is very important. Mm-hmm. I think it's very important because it balances out the heavy duty right end group, right wing yeah. and right, you know, leaning groups. I think all those things eventually with education and with the undeniable truth that the Internet presents will find some sort of a comfortable medium of truth where really self-aggrandizing, douchey behavior on the left is just as gross as right. self-aggrandizing, douchey behavior on the right. And people realize that compassion does not have to have an ideology attached to it. It should be a part of how human beings behave. Right. You know, when I was a rep- Republican, I was not a bad person. I, I was very misinformed. I, you know, and I came up from a, the poor side of the street. You know, my dad didn't have a car when I was growing up and stuff. And so I, I you know, I made a lot of money. And I thought, oh, this is great. I did this on my own. But... I didn't. You know, I, I, I've decided that un, until everybody has the same advantages as a white, college-educated American male, 
I'm not allowed to complain. That it's not even then. If they it's don't not, have, you know, right. it, you know, I've had so many, even though we didn't have money, I was, I had so many advantages. Oh, we're running out of time here. So, but we, but I, I would like to talk to you a little bit more. Do you want to talk some more? Sure. Let's just end this, and we'll talk a little bit more. Okay. So uh, we'll say uh, thanks to everybody for tuning into the podcast. Thanks to LegalZoom.com. Go to LegalZoom.com. Use the code ROGAN and save yourself some cash. Thanks also to Ting. Go to Rogan.Ting.com and save yourself 25 bucks off of any new phone on Ting. Bring your iPhones over from Sprint, and you can use them there. And uh, thanks also to Onnit.com. Go to O-N-N-I-2. Use the code name Rogan. Save 10% off any and all supplements. All right, freaks. We'll see you in a minute.